Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by Hall of Fame broadcaster Teddy Atlas. Special quarantine uh, edition of the show and Mother's Day episode. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Uh, Teddy, I wanted to get your thoughts on UFC 249, but before we do, how you doing? Good. Thanks for asking. Good, thank God. Uh, main thing is my family, everybody's everybody's good. And um, they're healthy. We're happy. We have my... I don't know if I mentioned this on the last episode, but I have my daughter and her husband and two children, or two two of our grandchildren. We have three. One of them lives in California with my son Teddy. But we're blessed to have. Uh, they sold their house in New Jersey, and while they're looking for a new house, they're living with us. So they all moved in here a couple weeks ago, probably about two and a half weeks ago, and the house is alive again. Ken, we we're, we're young again. <laughs> You know, we have, uh, I have uh, a two and a half year old uh, grandson and a six month old granddaughter here living with us. And, you know, it's back to those times where there's a little face on top of you at uh, 6.30 in the morning, you know, uh, seven <laughs> o'clock and saying, yep. get, wake up, Papa, uh, giddy up, giddy up, Papa. Get 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 up, Papa. So that's that's special. Yep. They're all healthy and we're all together and you know, it's it's good. It's uh it's good. You um I'm, I'm catching up on all, all my kid movies, the bees, the uh the bee movie, the, the dogs, <laughs> uh all the dinosaur movies, uh Paw Patrol, you know, we've we're past Paw Patrol. That's that's old news now. <laughs> I know them all. Those those uh, those uh, opening jingles from the Paw Patrol are like etched into my head forever. Yeah, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol. <laughs> hey, uh, first live sports event last night. I don't know about you, but I watch. I don't think I missed a single second of this. I was telling my wife I was looking forward to it for like two weeks. I, I told her, please keep the kids out of here. I really want to watch this. It's the only thing I've been looking forward to. And uh, in my opinion, the the the, the uh, event lived up to all expectations. I thought it was an awesome card. But on a, bro- on a broader level, i um, curious to hear your thoughts on um, Dana White. A lot of division uh, divisiveness over the decision to go forward with this. And it's, I, I think it's, some people have chosen to make it very political. And as an example, Aram came out and was very, very critical of um, Dana White. But at the same time, he's also super critical of Trump. And Trump had a pre-recorded message for Dana White and the UFC fans, which I thought was interesting in a, during a sporting event that the president took time to spend send a uh, special message of congratulations to the UFC and Dana White. Um, curious to hear your take on the whole thing and in all regards. <laughs> I, I can't help mm-hmm. but chuckle just a tiny bit, Ken, um, because when it comes to Bob Arum, if like... Trump somehow could become like a sponsor of his tomorrow. Um, he'd be he'd be okay, you know what I mean. He he. I mean, it's <laughs> yes, the same guy who was caught lying one time at a press conference, and he just brushed it off and said uh, they because when the newspaper guys asked him, but you said the opposite yesterday. I mean, literally 
yesterday. You said the opposite. You said, well, yesterday I was lying. Today I'm telling the truth. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, really. You- that to me, that quote, that quote personifies boxing and boxing promotions. And I'm not saying that Dana White is a saint by any means, but he has full controls. So he could do whatever he wants. But that's why boxing is kind of taking the cues from the UFC. That's why when Canelo, the biggest draw in the sport, has a fight, they make the fans wait 90 minutes till he goes in and fights for a light heavyweight title so that they can air the UFC in the arena. I mean, I, how much more emasculating can that be? Yeah, I mean, like, I, you're right. I, Adam, Adam just has no credibility for me. You know, he's he's been a tremendous promoter. We we give him his due, of course. Uh, longevity, you know, seven decades, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, at least six. And... But, I mean, I've, we've all heard it. Yeah, I've heard him say that a certain fighter that was under his guidance, under you know his shield, uh, his company's banner of promotion, was better than Ali. You know, and and then if the guy uh, a half a year later was with a new promoter, the guy's uh, you know that guy couldn't box his way out of a paper bag you know i mean it's (laughs) it's just the extremities of the extremes of him is it's just boundless boundless there's no limitations to where he'll go with anything that serves him at the time or uh obviously is uh is something that he wants to say because uh he's taking a shot at somebody else and uh, it it suits him, but uh, as far as you know, the show was a good show. I mean, I love to see the pay per view numbers. You know, uh, I love yeah. to get a uh, because you would think you talk about that old saying at a captive audience. I mean, this is what it was. You know, this is this is you, this is one time that saying is is right on the mark. That's a captive audience. You know, you. Uh, Usually you hear about those things and there's truth to them where if you go into an arena uh, to watch a ball game and you have to pay $10 for a draft beer or or five $6 for a bottle of water or $6, $7 for a hot dog, uh, you know, you're like, what? Where would you ever pay that? It's a captive audience. That's where yep. you have no choice. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, this is the first time maybe maybe in the history of television, of sports, where you truly had a captive audience, where, you know, people had nowhere else to go. You know, just like being in an arena. You have nowhere else to go if you want a hot dog. You got to pay $7. You know, it's, it's, yep. If you wanted to watch sports and you haven't watched it for two months, you had nowhere to go. You know, there was one place to go. Again, we're, we're saying, I think, the obvious, but sometimes things that aren't brought out as the obvious. So Dana White was pretty smart. Now look, now's the other part. Was he responsible, you know, uh, in the midst of all this? And I think he was. I think he, uh, we haven't heard anything negative. We heard that one of the trainers, one of the fighters tested positive uh, for the virus. But in a way that speaks to a good job they're doing. It speaks to the system they put, the protocol they put in place before they did this, that they were able to to find that out and 
keep them isolated from anyone else, which is what the protocol was. That that was the the way he had it organized or the way that the structure of it was. So he had them isolated so they didn't infect yeah. anyone else. But his his testing yep. and his protocol found that these guys were positive where otherwise you never would have knew. That's right. There were no symptoms. You never would have known. Yep. It was Jacare Souza, and um, you know, to the UFC's credit, that kid would have never known he had. He has no symptoms at all. Nor did his, uh, I think, two trainers, at least one, I think, two. They could have been out infecting, like you know, countless amounts of other people. They had no symptoms at all. They were able to identify the guys who who had the virus, isolate them, send them out of there, and wherever they went. Uh, Souza lives in Orlando. The event was in Jacksonville, so I imagine he could have just drove himself home and isolated. But um. You know, you could make the argument that they actually did the, the testing, like helped someone. I agree, hundred percent. And um, so they look. It, it seems again, it's early. Uh, all the reviews haven't come in, you know. But it would seem that they did a, a a responsible job. And then getting to the athletic part of it, they did a responsible job from the from the part of it that you know was the danger of the virus with handling that. Uh, you know, obviously no audience. And so all all the things that they did and the testing and very, very thorough, extreme, proper testing. The way I understand it is everyone is test multi- tested multiple times, tested before you arrive, tested when you arrive, or tested upon arrival. Everyone's isolated during the process. And that's um, what you need. And it just seems that, especially if you're going to, do what Dana White's doing right now, bringing sports back, bringing a contact sport where you, obviously you're in the same vicinity of each other and uh, you're sweating all over each other and everything else that I don't have to go over. Uh, you better have the testing down packed. Yep, I was just going to say, it's funny that as soon as he comes out and he's getting obviously a lot of attention and look, the people who want sports are excited. And it's also from everything I've seen, and there's so much contradictory information out there on the virus, but it looks like the the people who are really susceptible are really elderly people with pre-existing conditions. But nevertheless... He put on the show, it was a lot of buzz, and uh, uh, certain people in sports just couldn't help taking shots at him. And um, one of those people was uh, Oscar De La Hoya. Someone asked him and uh, um, asked him something about fighting Conor McGregor, and he said something to the effect of, I'll, I'll beat him in less than two rounds. And Dana came back, and they asked him at, a press, at the press conference for the event, like, what do you think about Oscar? And, and Dana just kind of dismissed it like Oscar's crazy. And Oscar came back with a tweet I think on Friday night, but at night. And he said, Dana, you're such a little bitch. You never laced up a glove other than being a boxing aerobics teacher. The Fertitta brothers are the ones who built the business. And you were lucky enough to just have 10% of the UFC, little bitch. And again, um, Dana has like just kind of brushed it off. But it's like anyone else, if anyone else is getting attention, the others just come out of the bushes like, hey, what about me? I'm here too. Um then, then he deleted that tweet and then came back with the saying, for the record, McGregor, I never challenged you. I just asked a question and I simply spoke the truth. But it's just funny watching everyone scramble for every ounce of attention that 
when the only attention right now seems to be for the UFC, they're the only ones that are doing anything or even have a plan. And I'll be curious to see how boxing reacts and, and what the plan is going forward. Are they going to have fights with no fans? I mean, I hope they do. I hope that they can get the, you know, not all these guys are like making tons of money, right? I don't Some see the- any other way they can do it. Yeah. I mean, you have to go without fans. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's the first part of it, of the equation. Yeah. You know, the rest of it has to be figured out and everything, the training and everything else, the the pre-stuff, where are they training? Are they being tested all the way up, you know, uh, to the event? You know, how often are they being tested? What kind of testing? You know, all that stuff. But I, you know, I you know, it's strange times, Ken, when we're, we're tracking De La Hoya tweets. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're in a, we're in a, a strange point. place, brother. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, 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 <laughs> we, we really are. Uh, all I say about all that nonsense is that you could take shots at anybody for anything if if you don't care about parameters of you know accuracy or legitimacy. You could always take shots at people if you have an agenda or if you have a, a hate in you to do that. We see it on the internet all the time. People are hating and they're not even necessarily thinking about uh, what they're saying. They're just motivated by the hate, but um, not the accuracy of what they might be saying. They might have a tidbit of something and that's enough for them. But I don't think you can argue whether it was the Fajita brothers or not, the casino owners that started uh, you know, UFC, yeah, Dana White's done a pretty damn good job of, of, de- of <laughs> developing say. it. Uh, pretty damn good job, you know, of taking the business <laughs> and, you know, getting it to where it is. Uh, but it, but getting, <coughs> the, the show is a good show. Uh, I, I think it was a, I, I think it was like a Broadway smash you know, it's like the first night Broadway opens up with a with something new because even though UFC's not new, it's new now. It's new now coming back this way with no crowd noise, everything else. People talked about that. And I think at the end of the day, if we were reviewers, if we were the guys that were reviewing plays, oh, God help us. But if we were, you know, <laughs> oh, boy. Well, uh, it, it was a smash hit. You know, it, 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 it was a so. smash hit. And um, a brutal sport, a brutal sport. I'll get more into it as you take me to the fights. Uh, but uh, also, just, uh, I got to, well, I'll just say it the way I feel it. Um, it. It's a beautiful, there's some beauty in brutality sometimes when you can see, and I know that sounds crazy, but when you can see the level and just the amount of toughness, when you can see somebody that excellent in just the department of tough, toughness, um, you know, we we applaud excellence in different things, Ken. You know, if we see somebody figure skating, you know, beautiful pirouette, you know, really beautiful, magnificent. So, uh, all the time it took and the dedication it took to perform that. Really, we applaud it. We should. 
We, we, we notice, even if we're not ice skating experts or, or ice skating uh, aficionados, but we see the brilliance of it and we applaud it, gymnastics, you know, whatever. And we never talk about the excellence of brutality. I know it's crazy, but the, uh, the level of toughness to be able to withstand brutality. The, the, the level of commitment and training mentally, physically, emotionally that it takes to be able to have that capacity to endure. If it's a runner like you, you're a runner. Rob's a runner. We applaud your ability to develop your lungs to a capacity further than a normal person where you can endure more, where you have the capacity to run longer, that your lungs can hold more oxygen uh, longer. It didn't happen just by being born that way, unless you're Lance Armstrong, maybe it did, you know, that he was born with a little <laughs> bit more. And I'm not being I'm not being a wise guy here because of PEDs later on in his career, but from what I read... A, in a naturally high VO2 he max. Did. That's right, and you would... I read about that. So, but I'm talking about the regular guy that works so freaking hard to get an edge on anyone else, to do something better than anyone else or better than most people. The dedication it takes to do that, the pain it takes to go through to get to that place. Well, to get to a place to be able to live within a brutal within the octagon where some brutal acts can take place to get to that place, to be able to navigate yourself through that pain and through that turmoil, that, that everything that's part of it, the fear, the, the everything that's part of it to be, I mean, it'd be like me applauding a lion tamer that you could get in a lion's cage Oh, instead of just saying, no, this is a good view from here. You know, are those are those bars <laughs> are those bars thick? Are they thick? That is <laughs> locked, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a nice view. Yeah, it's a beautiful teeth, beautiful mane. What a roar. Wow. You know, but I ain't getting in a freaking cage. <laughs> and but to be able to develop yourself and control your fears and to Train yourself to be able to get it, open that door and go in that cage. No matter what edge you have, you're still going in that freaking cage. To be able to get in that octagon and go through what these guys go through. I mean, the, the torture, the, the physical brute force and damage that's part of of that environment to train yourself to handle that and to handle it like somebody else would handle eating a double scoop ice cream <laughs> and and say yeah this is really good and 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 not make any more of it you see these guys when they're busted up and when it's over with how they just it's just part of their day it's just then they're, they're not talking about the the gash over their eye or the 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 elbows that they took right on the freaking nose 
or right on the chin, an elbow. It's enough to take a fist, but an elbow, an elbow. Yep. Or the foot that they took on the side of their head to not even make much mention of it. It was my job, and I was prepared for that job. And I, I prepared myself to be able to go through that. I prepared my, it's, we don't give enough understanding. I'm not even going to say credit, but enough understanding of what it takes to do that. You know, uh, yeah. I, and listen, what they're doing, they're doing it for their families, for themselves, for something inside. It's not just the money, for something inside them. That they they must they must answer some kind of call to find out something about yourself. We all have that call. It's just a matter of how loud is it? How loud is it? It has to be more than money. You couldn't pay me enough money to get in there. And, but it's similar. And, and I agree. It's similar to what these heroes and I never use that word unless it's in the cases that I'm about to to attach it to. These heroes are armed service men and women, that prepare themselves to go and protect us, to go and be ready to die because that's part of their job. And what they put themselves, the, the SEALs, the, the Army Rangers, the, all of them, the Marines, all of them, all of them. I salute you all if you're listening. But all of you, and I appreciate you all, and my family does, because they're brought up to. But what they put themselves through to become those people, to become prepared, we, we, we lose sight of that. We look at the guys, the basketball players, that perform unbelievable athletic feats on that court and how hard they work since they're seven, six, five, you know, 10 years old. And we applaud that and we understand that or the football players, or the baseball guy that can hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball that's moving, <laughs> that's not even coming straight. <laughs> I mean, we applaud that, and it's applaudable. But what about applauding these people that get that develop their mind to the point, their mind, their fortitude, they chisel it, they take it like you take a sword and you put it into molten lead to forge it into that sword so it'll stand up, so it won't break in combat. That's what they do. They, that's what they do to make themselves that person, those people. I watched that, and I just, I just needed to say that, that it's, it's really... I know they're not going out there and saving people's lives the way the armed service people are. I understand the separation. Nobody has to tell me. But they're going out there, they're entertaining us. They're going out there answering the call that they have to answer. They're taking care of their families. This is the way they're doing, and of themselves. It's pretty extraordinary. It's pretty damn extraordinary. Yeah. And having said all that, I'm going to move it into what I always talk about for the 23 years I'm calling fights on ESPN, what I always talk about, with all of that, and they're all tough, but with all of that, it still comes down. And this is where people are going to say, wow, uh, maybe they agree, maybe they won't, but I believe there's evidence to agree where there's a similarity 
an attachment to boxing and the same things of the top guys where it's not the toughest guy that wins. It's the, they're all tough. It's the guy who's smarter. It's the guy who's more prepared. It's the guy who has a better strategy. It's the guy who's got the discipline to stand up and execute that strategy in a consistent manner all night in those danger zones because we'll go through the specific fights, but each one of them that I saw, they're equally tough, but it was the guy who had the better plan. It was the guy who was just a little smarter uh, in, in those areas that became tougher, that that won the day, that victory was theirs. Uh, it makes me think about... Years ago, back in the 70s, 80s, there was one of my favorite fighters, Danny Little Red Lopez, featherweight champ of the world. Oh, and Robert, get it up there for everybody. But unbelievable tough, Ken. Unbelievable. And a good right-hand puncher. Uh, and then he fights a guy at the time nobody really knew him. You know, people knew him, but not, not the world. A guy named Salvador Sanchez. Quiet. We didn't see proof of his toughness. You know why? Because he was so smart. He didn't have to show it. But it was there. It was there when the day would be called upon to show it, like when he fought a Zuma Nelson 15 rounds. But he goes in there and he destroys my favorite, my guy, Danny Little Red, he, Lopez. He, he, he destroys him because he was more developed in those other areas, smarter. Yeah, 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 the other guy was so tough. And I saw a reminder of those things. I, I was reminded of those things watching, that you could get caught up in just the, the toughness, the brutality, which I applaud, uh, that they get themselves to that level. I don't applaud that people are killing each other. I, I just applaud that you could develop yourself to become that dependable. Wouldn't you want a guy like that as a friend? Yeah. See, I know I take it to different places, but I think it's the right places. Wouldn't you want a guy like that as your friend that he he could go through that torment and not break because it because it's important not to break? Yeah, I would. I would. And that's I think that's where character intertwines and mixes with with all of these these sports, these you know, vocations in other areas, you know, where it's business maybe and you 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 have to trust a financial broker. I mean, you know, you want to know that it's more important for him not to betray you than it is to make money. Yeah. That he has that endurance, that he has developed that, the way these guys have developed that. And, um, but I... Throughout, you'll take me through the fights. You'll take us through the fights when you're ready. But that's that's what I saw every time. I saw the guy that had the better plan, the guy who was technically better, the guy who was, you know, uh, for the most part, was that that match with his toughness, and it made him tougher. It made him superior. It made him the winner. 
to your point, I was thinking as I was watching some of the fights, because a lot of them were very um, strategic. You know, there were a few quick ones, but a lot of them, like um, the first one that we'll talk about is Greg Hardy. Not the most technical guy, doesn't have a ton of experience, but I was thinking about it in terms of a chess match. It's like, hey, okay, we're playing chess. Oops, I made a mistake there. Oh, I got you right there. Here's a punch in the face. Oh, you made another mistake there. Here's a kick in the ribs. And... um so let's talk. Let's kick it off with that first fight, Greg Hardy. Against By the way, painful chess. Very painful. <laughs> Jurgen DeCastro. Um, I got to be honest. Every time I see Hardy fight, just because of his lack of experience, I think this is it. Now they're gonna. He's gonna step up in in um, in in uh, competition. This guy's gonna be the one who gets him, and he just keeps winning. Former Dallas Cowboy, I think linebacker, just a super athlete obviously, to be able to fight in the UFC with such little experience. I don't think he's been fighting was for three years. Was he a linebacker or was that. on the defensive line? I, I don't know myself, but defensive but end. defensive end. Rob just... Uh, okay, yeah, so. yeah. But just a big uh, athletic look, guy. A guy, like, a guy that athletic could be moved to linebacker too. But, but I know he was very good at sacking the quarterback. That's why. Yes. Listen... First thing that struck me, he, he screwed up his NFL career. Again, well, we, we're always yeah. honest. Well, we try to be. We try to be. And uh, get it out there if we, if we know what we need to know. Uh, he screwed up his career. Tremendous. I, I think he was the top uh, guy in the whole NFL with sacks uh, one year. And he yep. was a pro bowler. Uh, extraordinary. Yes. And he, and, Superstar. And he signing a huge contract. Huge. I don't know if it was a hundred million, whatever it was. It was one of those crazy contracts, extreme, and uh, he blew it, blew it, and and then he took this up. First thing that was consistent for me, looking at it from my eyeballs, unbelievable athlete. You just said it, size, everything else. Yeah, I'm watching this guy throw kicks. I'm watching this guy at his size, an NFL football size, throwing kicks, making moves, doing this, and spots. I saw that he's green. I saw that it's still, you know, a, a, obviously a, a new sport for him. Uh, that he's still in the, he's still going through the process of learning it. Uh, you know, he didn't start like he did in football when he was seven, eight, nine years old playing peewee. I get it, but. You can't help but see. You can't miss the special athletic qualities that he has. I mean, extraordinary. Um, and he had a better reach than uh, than De Castro. Uh, he used that with his with his jab. Uh, he's taller, longer. You want to see that? That's what I'm looking for. He's got all these attributes, these physical advantages. Does he have the discipline? Does he have the teaching to use them? That's what I'm looking for. Uh, it's not consistent because of what you just touched on, Ken. He hasn't been around doing it long enough. But I saw the, I sp saw the special athletic qualities that you don't see in, in everybody, and uh, and then I noticed what I've learned over my 45 years in boxing that. You can't always judge a book by a cover. You see De Castro, he's chubby, he's squat, and but he has fast hands. He he had really fast hands. And um I always wonder, and I'm being a little bit of a jerk right now, but you know that I respect all this guy, so I think I if I qualify it the right way and I say it the right way, I I can say it. Um because I, I I do 
respect these guys and I show it. I think every day I do stuff like this and the way I live my life in this business of of combat sports. But um, I found over the years, you just find out certain things that there's consistencies. And I found that these heavy guys, plump, all right, fat, whatever, sometimes, but whatever, that you wouldn't think they're not body beautiful. You wouldn't think that they fit the the they fit the description of a fighter, you know, whether it's Ruiz, whoever. But a lot of them, and going way back before Ruiz, they got fast hands. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. I I, I always see them. There's a whole bunch of them, but they 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 always have fast hands. And now the part I'm going to be a wise guy. Maybe they developed it at the dinner table where they were they they were <laughs> <laughs> they were, you know what I mean? They yeah yeah wasn't wasn't there like a pork chop on my plate like <laughs> a, a minute ago? Where to go? Where to go? <laughs> the fast handed man got it. You know, so I don't. I'm obviously I'm kidding around with that, but it's really remarkable that. And this guy, you know, so I wasn't shocked. I saw the fast hands. I've seen that, but I also saw what he did in the second and third round. He went into survival mode, like he he didn't yep. try to win anymore. And that's where you go into the character and everything else. You got to have the whole package. At one point, he was having huge success with the uh, leg kick, kicking the left leg of uh, the lead leg of Greg Hardy. And I think at the interview afterwards, Hardy said um, at one point he checked the kick and it looked like he heard his Castro might have broken his toes. Yeah, and he stopped kicking. But what was funny is when they asked Hardy about afterwards when he started checking, he goes, "Oh, I heard DC, the announcer." because there's no crowd, say, he better start checking those kicks. So I started checking them. And as soon as I did, he hurt his foot, and I saw him. He jumped like he couldn't control the reaction when he when he hurt his foot kicking his See, shit. That's very interesting, and it is, because having we're talking about the, obviously, a lot of people are talking about the negative aspect of not having a crowd, you know, the feeling, the juice, maybe even a fight is being, you know, being attached to that, uh, playing off of it, feeding off of it, you know, whatever. Uh, the broadcasters feeding off. I fed off it as a as a broadcast. I would feel it uh, if if we had a really animated crowd, a really uh, boisterous, emotional, invested crowd. Not just a dull crowd, not just a casino crowd, but a crowd that that really really had a a vested interest in the fighters and you felt it 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 got you it it woke you up it got it it affected you it impacted you you know it 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 was like having a cup of coffee (laughs) before you 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 do the you know it got you it got you it got you going a little bit um it carried you sometimes but having said what you said you brought up a great point to to talk about what they said and and in that way, it was an advantage to the fighters that they could hear that, and in their mind get a little, you know, information and confidence that hey, maybe the guy, maybe the guy's hurt. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about it is, it always comes down to the toughness here, always. And yeah, he hurt his toe. He might have broke his toe, maybe. But guess what? You want to be what what these guys are. 
you fight with a broken toe. I know that sounds like, oh, it's easy for you to say. No, it's not easy for me to say. But I am saying something that is part of the responsibility of that world. Yep. Uh, these guys, you saw the brutality of it. These guys with the cuts, with a broken nose, a broken jaw, whatever. Muhammad Ali fought Ken Norton in the second round. He had a broken jaw. He he, he didn't say, I got a broken jaw, get me out of here. You know, whatever. Uh, how many times we see football players uh, play a tremendous game, but something's broken or something is, they got a shot for something? Come on. Are you kidding me? The, the first day camp opens up in the NFL, nobody is healthy anymore. Nobody's healthy. It's just a matter of what degree and how far you're willing to tolerate it. And, and it's part of the turf. It's part of the turf. It's part of the deal. It is. Yeah. And so, yeah, the guy might have broke his toe. But, and I'm going to say this, so what? And, and uh, so what? The, the fight after you, the guy's probably going to break his cheekbone or he's going to break his eye socket. But he's going to make a decision to go on or not go on because it's part of the turf. It's part of the territory. It's part of the job. You know, and those are the guys. And that's where you separate guys. That's one of the places. It's not just athleticism. That's one of the places you separate guys. And that's one of the things that, was separating in that fight. And speaking of the next fight and injuries, um, Calvin Cater, Boston's own, stops Jeremy Stevens uh, via knockout, knocked him, dropped him with a, a beautiful punch and then jumped on him and um, hit him with an elbow that opened a gash on his head that was just ferocious. I mean, it, blood was just spewing out of it for several minutes. Um, but that was that was an interesting one because it was all stand up and Cater uh, is uh, known for being a slow starter and he seemed to take his time. He Stevens, I thought Stevens won the first round, but Cater was like being very strategic, taking his time, figuring him out. And once he did start to figure him out, he started to light him up. But that's to your point about the lack of a crowd and hearing what's going on. You could hear, I think, uh, you could hear the two trainers talking to the two fighters, which I enjoyed. And then I think at some point, Cater even spoke back to the trainer in the middle of the round, telling him that he heard something that he said, like, hey, I got it. And um, But that was that was one that ended with a brutal cut, brutal injury. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one? My thoughts on that one. First of all, Cater impressed me as one of the better strikers that I've seen in the UFC. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm suddenly a UFC aficionado, but I, I'm watching. I'm watching now, you know, and I I understand something about fighting. And uh, whether it's MMA fighting or boxing, my, my sport, I, I recognize what separates people and what makes people, you know, special or not special. And the consistencies, the parallels in both sports – this guy's a good striker. I mean, McGregor, I know, is a tremendous striker, but this guy struck me, Cater, as, wow, he's he's one of the better ones I've seen. For myself, that's what, I don't know what the word on him is out there. I don't, I don't have a scouting report on him, other than I depend on my own scouting. That's how I have always kind of done it. And um, that's what I saw. I also saw a lot of pride the, they they all have pride, but it comes out to special ones. Like like after he knocks him out, 
he he's so proud. He's so what he is. He's that kind of guy. These guys are those kind of guys. And uh, he says, well, I didn't like the fact. Uh, respectful, but tough and strong and honest. Yeah. Not everybody would be that honest and say it. And maybe some people wouldn't see the reason to say it. But I understood it. He said, I didn't like the way he disrespected me, he being Stevens, coming in four and a half pounds heavy. I, I see that. That wasn't missed on me. That was that wasn't missed on me. I said, "This is the real deal here. These these are the real, these are the real warriors over here. They live they live by a code. You know what I mean, Ken? And he broke the code. Yeah, like this this son of a bitch. Sure. I, 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 yeah, we just fought. We went in there. I respect him. We fought like men, and I conquered, and I give him his due for getting in there with me. But I didn't like that he broke the code." And he came in heavy. I didn't like that crap, that disrespect. Let me ask you a let me ask you a question about that because I always I always feel bad for the guy that did make weight because the kid misses weight by four and a half pounds. Which I mean, at that point, it might as well be twenty, right? I mean, that's a, that's so that's so egregious. It's it's insane. And then. They, the promotion then turns to the guy who made weight and says, hey, we'll give you an extra 20% of his dough if you'll take this fight. So now you've got a guy that five pounds is a huge advantage when you're talking about a guy who's drained and cutting a lot of weight. And then it's on the guy who made weight to be the good guy or the bad guy and say, yeah, yeah, I'll fight him even though he's five pounds heavier. I almost feel like at a certain point it should be like, no, we're not even going to put you in that awkward position. He's out. After a certain point of weight, if you miss by more than two, three pounds, we're not even going to put you. Why, why is it on him to say, okay, I'll take a fight with a guy that's like much bigger than me? Very good point to bring it up. In boxing, I'm sure the UFC must have some kind of rule. But in boxing, they do have an allowance. They do have a cutoff. Certain amount. It, it, the problem is there's no unilateral conformity with freaking boxing. Every state has their own rules. It's part of the problem. I've been fighting about that for years. But uh, certain commissions will have a cutoff, like you can't lose more than 10% of your weight or, or whatever, yeah. whatever it is. Um, you can't lose more than three pounds. You can't lose more than four pounds, whatever it is. And But up to then, you can make a deal with money, like you said. You could go and say, hey, do you? is it okay? Go talk to the camp and make a deal. They give you another thousand dollars, whatever. Okay, we'll fight. Or sometimes I've seen it where there's no fight. There's pressure to make the fight on the guy. You brought up a good point. The pressure is always on the good guy. Yeah, it's always on the good. But the reason is because when television, especially, is involved, you gotta have to fight. You got the airtime. You gotta have to fight. I mean, yep. you could go and go down the list and then say, all right. Who, who's one of the preliminary guys that was not on TV, you're on TV now. You're getting more money, you're on TV. But you might not want that fight on TV because it's not as good a fight. It's not as competitive a fight. That's why it was a preliminary. So there's pressure on the good guy. Hey, come on, we got to put this, you know, and, and there's pressure on your, it attacks your manhood. That's, I mean, that's what they do. Like, come on, you're still going to fight, right? Exactly. Well, why should he have to even make that decision? And and you make a good point. You make a good point. But it it is the nature of the business that 
Uh, there's going to be pressure put in. Not everyone's going to make live up to that contract. Um, you know, not everybody's going to be live up to their commitment. Hey, it's it's part of the deal sometimes, and uh, you could you could just say, hey, the fight's off. But again, there's other things to consider here. There's there's fights to put on TV. You got to have the fights. So that's part of it. And then there's two ways to look at it too, Ken. You know, who's getting an advantage here? Sometimes I've seen it. The guy who has the extra weight, he didn't have to kill himself. He's bigger. He gets an advantage. But sometimes, no. Sometimes it's an indicator that he wasn't in the best of shape too. That's why he didn't come yep, in. Yep. So he's not as prepared. Yep. So the guy who's lighter, even if it's by four and a half, five pounds, kind of like last night, is the guy that has the edge because he's more prepared. And and he was disciplined enough. It tells you something. It's a little bit of a. It's a little bit of a roadmap. It's a little bit of a, of a scouting report, in a way, that it's telling you your opponent didn't have the discipline you had. Yeah. So so it's a very interesting thing you brought it up, and it's, but there's a lot of ways to look at it. But getting back to the fight, I noticed Cater switches. You know. Uh, he switches from orthodox to southpaw. Uh, again, one of the better strikers I've seen. Reminded me a little bit, not to that level, but Crawford. You know how Crawford switches lefty-righty, you know, very effectively, by the way. Tremendous, tremendous. Uh, so I made a note to myself as I watched the fights. I want to be prepared to uh, handle you. <laughs> and And, of course, to satisfy the audience my commitment to the audience so i i saw his boxing skills i saw that he put combos together uh and then something that wasn't mentioned and again consistent with what i talk about in boxing it's not just about the power it's about the delivery system it's about the technique it's about the trick it's about the cleverness it's about the mind it's about the intellect that how you deliver it you, you know, you can have the greatest power in the world. But if you don't have the system to deliver, like Mike Tyson, unbelievable puncher, either hand. <clears throat> but when he made you miss, bang, he caught you. He had a way to connect the power to the person's anatomy that it had to be connected. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Um, to be able to destroy the guy. And it's the same thing. You can have all the power in the world. And unless you have a delivery system, a way of delivering it, uh, the power doesn't mean as much. You know, kind of like Marciano. You know, he, he had that heavyweight champ, only undefeated heavyweight champ to retire undefeated 49-0. He, he had great power in either hand, but he had a trick that a lot of people aren't aware of to deliver it and he used that trick in the 13th round in his first title fight against the great Jersey Joe Walcott when he was behind on all cards he was going to lose 15 round fight if he didn't knock him out and he pulled on that trick he landed the right hand but the way he set it up Ken he started the left and that was just enough to bring Walcott's eyes there Boom. And then he threw the right hand. He landed. So I noticed that, again, I'm going to notice those things. I'm looking for them. 
and nobody talked about it really. And they do a great job, those those commentators. They do. Um, they do. Uh, not all the commentators in any sport do a great job. Boxing, any of them. But for the most part, I noticed these UFC guys, they, they got it pretty good. And um, they really do. But the reason he landed that elbow, <laughs> not a... Not a yep. punch, was he blinded him. He actually opened his left hand, Ken. He went like this, opened it. But it was something you could do in UFC because of the glove type. And you can't do that with a boxing glove. He opened his hand. I'm going to move over here to show you. Move your head. I don't want to hit you. All right? Yeah, thank you. Uh, because I got to finish this show. I don't want to finish it alone. You know? <laughs> and, and he, so he went out here like this. Boom! Well, actually, bah, he hit him with the elbow. But he blinded him. He set it up. And um, Rob's got it because that's what Rob does. You know, he's got it all queued up here. And you're going to see it right now, all the fans. See? Blinded him with the left and then hits him with the elbow. Oh, boy. Thanks, Rob, for having that. I mean, that's that's it right there. That That's it right there. Beautiful. Beautiful illustration. Of, and that's that's why he was able to have the, I know it's the elbow hitting the guy, but the reason why he was able to get the punch in there so clean and where the guy had no chance of recovering from it was because he blinded him. The guy didn't even have time to register, get ready for something big, you know? Yeah. Did you notice he also, when he threw that elbow, uh, Stevens hit him with a bomb, a perfect a right hand, and looked like it broke his nose. After the, in the interviews afterwards, if you notice, there was no there was no marks on his face until that exchange that ended the fight. As he hit him with the elbow, he he walked right through a right bomb to his nose. Just his nose started gushing. He blinds him. Yeah, he gets hit with the right hand around the eye, that caused the cut. But as you said, he, as the commentators like to say, and I love it, he ate that right hand. He ate that right yep. hand because yep. that's what these guys do. <laughs> they eat punches yep. when they have to eat punches. Yep. Uh, it reminds me, and I know Rob's <laughs> going to get this up for me. It reminds me of that great scene with with uh, Jack Nicholson uh, in that movie with Tom Cruise. Uh, what was the name of that movie? Oh, uh, Few Good Men. A few Good Men. You know. You need me on that wall. You want me on that wall because we, while you're in your, while you're in your cocktail parties, talking and eating your little hors d'oeuvres and having your little drinks, and you're talking to your friends, and we're doing things that you don't talk about in such places, but things that you don't want to hear about, things you don't want to know that we do. <laughs> but you need us there. While you're in there with your nice uniforms on and having nice little little hors d'oeuvres and dinners. I'm reinventing this script a little bit. But <laughs> you don't want to know what we have to do. But it's because of us. You need us. You want us there on that wall. Anyway, Jack Nicholson will, uh, <laughs> will give it better than I just gave it. A little bit more accurate. Um, but... The point is there. And again, it, it came down to, I always see the parallels. I mean, they're there if you're, if you're mm -hmm. looking. You know, everybody could say, oh, wow, he hit him with that elbow. Yeah, he did. 
But he was calm enough, thoughtful enough, smart enough to blind him with this in order to do it. So again, it comes down to what? Intellect. Technique. <laughs> you know, being more than a caveman. Really. Because we see cavemen. A lot of people, they see these guys, they don't give them their dues to the part that I opened the show with. How they developed this to become those guys. That doesn't just happen. Yeah. What it takes to become that. But then also that they're not just, you know, swinging a club. They're thinking. They're thinking. And the ones who think clearer, better, they're, they're winning for the most part. They're separating themselves. Conor McGregor. I'll jump down that road real quick. Conor McGregor, when he was being built up, knocking all those animals out. And I say animals in a very, I don't have to tell anyone, I don't think, in a very respectful, revering way. These savages, like my son says about these football players that he loves. When he has one he loves, he says, Dad, the guy's a savage. I, I just, <laughs> you know, just to hear it, I'm like, yeah, wow, tell me about yeah. him. Tell me, tell me about this <laughs> savage, you know? Like, I can't wait to hear, you know? And, and yeah. McGregor was knocking out these animals, these savages, uh, but on his way up to get to the big money, to the, to the Mayweather, you know, he earned it. He earned it. He had to make you believe that he could do it, even if it was a lot of promotion and a lot of sales and all. Everything's that. But he still had to pay his dues to get there. That's what I respect. And when he was doing it, he was knocking these guys out in one round, these guys that were top guys. But he was doing it. Yeah, he was a good striker. Yeah, he was a good puncher. Yeah, he was a southpaw. I get it. I get it. But also, he was smart. He knew what the freak he was doing. He had a plan that was better than theirs. And he executed it. You know, I remember the one guy, I can't remember the guy, but Robert come up where he knocked the guy out. Tremendous, the guy. Tremendous. But he goes there and knocks him out in one round. Jose Aldo? Yeah, yeah. He knew he could get the guy to lead. He knew he could get the guy to reach in. So he acted like this animal that's just going to walk in, and he didn't. He let the guy f believe he was, and then he let the guy throw the first punch where he left himself available. Bang! And he counted him. He got the guy to reach in, and then he counted the guy. Robert probably get it up there. But, uh, I mean, beautiful. Again, tough, brutal. Yeah. Uh, the result, you know, uh, a lot of people say, Teddy, you call that beautiful? Uh, yeah, and I don't like opera, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm only kidding, of course. But, yeah, and I, and I didn't think that last opera set was so good either. <laughs> that, that that you and your friends were sitting in the balcony, you know, with those little glasses, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that was so cute. I'm just, you know, I'm just getting them back a little bit. But people have that attitude. People say, oh, you're sport. You know, that drives me crazy, Ken. But, you know, I'm, I'm at a better place now, you know. I'm in a better place. But those people would come. We'd be at an event, a nice event. Someone would come. I understand. Somebody was telling me, are you the guy that's in the boxing uh, business? I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah, why? 
Is that at one of the events Rob brought you to? <laughs> no. no. Yeah, why? Oh, how do you how how do you do it? How do you, how can you be in that business where people are oh my they're hitting each other. Oh. Oh, how do you how can you isn't that isn't that savage? Um no. It's not it's it's uh it's very intellectual. <laughs> it's very intellectual, very well thought out, very well planned, very well trained. Uh, it takes years of training to be calm enough to uh, be a savage at that level. Um, uh, could you pass one of those uh, chopped liver uh, Great pâtés? Great Poupon. Uh, uh, over there, please. <laughs> pass the Great Poupon. Uh, please, we're going to get them as a sponsor. Rob's going to get them as a sponsor now. Uh, you know, but I, 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 well, uh, listen, God. congratulations to Bostonian Calvin. Oh, Cater. you had to we'll put that in there. I, 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 <laughs> I caught you the beginning. You had to do it again. I, I caught it. At the I want everyone to know. Well, next up was the two big heavyweights, Francis Ngannou against Royzen Strike from Suriname. This was um, this kid. The kid Roizenstrike was a super established uh, kickboxer. I was looking at his stats: seventy-six and eight with sixty-four knockouts as a professional. You kickboxer. would have thought he'd have the advantage. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, and you're that astute. And on top of it, but go ahead. You would have thought he'd have the advantage. Go ahead. Yep, especially against Engano, who's known to have be a little bit weak on the ground. His strength is his stand-up. So uh, Roizenstrike in his last fight was, you know, probably losing to Alistair Overeem who's been around for years, but big, tough dude. And Roizenstrike hit him with a punch, and it was, with a few exceptions, one of the worst injuries I've ever seen. I mean, he split his lip so bad, his lip was like hanging off in three pieces. I mean, it was so graphic. And after the fight, he said, hey, Nganu, let's do this. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, in a, these two are both good stand-up guys. This should be a battle. And it didn't last very long, 20 seconds of like, gunslinging and when the guys are that big and that strong you don't have to get hit with many punches to um turn the lights off and and Gano got him out of there in a hurry uh, again very respectful he's a nice guy um cameroonian and was very respectful after the fight but man he put an end to that discussion very quickly what'd you see punches are born not made that's what i saw i saw I saw Deontay Wilder. I saw um, Deontay Wilder's more developed in certain areas. He's been doing it longer, but he did start late in his career too, even though he went to the Olympics, but he didn't start boxing until shortly before the Olympics. But he had that great natural ability to to produce power with punches, and that's born. That's not made. And uh, this guy's green, you know, he's he's... He's green around the ears, you know. He's uh, definitely he's got a great story. I mean, you could go into it uh, a little bit, but he's just got a great, great story of where he came from and where he started and how he built his physical strength. Oh, I mean, you got to root for a guy like that. And I'm glad you said what you said. He comes across as a genuine kid, uh, a kid you want to root for yeah. before you hear the story. And then when you hear the story, <laughs> I mean, you want your, you you want to root even more. And uh, yep. but uh, he, I say the same thing I said about Wada, and it's a knock, but it's a knock with an explanation. With uh, it's it's a knock 
from somebody in the business that is just pointing things out, not just trying to knock. Because I started it by saying all these flattering things. And this is not unflattering to me. It's just a fact that he is green and he doesn't... When I say he reminds me of Deontay Wilder, I mean in a way that he has power. He's got that great eraser. And in a way that he don't know how to fight. In a way that his technique stinks, uh, you know, uh, sometimes. And where, you know, he's throwing punches and he's reaching in and he's he's falling all over the place. But when he lands, just like Wilder, Wilder does that too. Boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy. It's 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 impactful. It's powerful. It's catastrophic for the other guy, but uh, the other guy made it easy for him too, quite frankly. And again, if you don't want the truth, then go somewhere else. I mean, go 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 go, because you know <laughs> you want to be in love with the guy. I'm in love with the guy too, with the story and everything about him. But I'm going to point out the warts. I'm going to point out, you know, the facts. What was that show, Dragnet? Do you remember that show? You're too young. Dragnet, the detectives, where the detective, the very stoic detective. It was really good. Two of them, and they're detectives, and they come in there. They start getting a story from the, you know, from the person that uh, was uh, that just has something happen. The, you know, f- by the perpetrator, right? The 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 victim, and they start telling them. And and, and a very stoic detective says. Only the facts, only the facts, ma'am. Yeah, <laughs> just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> just yep. the facts, ma'am. And 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 that's kind of that's. I just want to say, just the facts, baby. You know, uh, Rosenstruck helped him. He pulled straight back. You don't pull straight back. You don't pull straight back when you do it. There's a chance you're going to pay the ultimate price. You're going to get hit and you're going to get hurt. And again, when you posted that tweet, someone responded and say, if you're not supposed to pull back, what should you do? Move your head! (laughs) (laughs) You think the guy heard me? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Move your head, wise guy. I mean... Oh, I think he, I think the guy was being sincere. Like, if he's not pulling back, well, should maybe, he? Okay, I'm meaning, sorry. Like, we I'm sorry. Step around. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, he's just trying to learn. <laughs> he's trying to. I'm sorry. I'm getting. You get <laughs> sorry. me riled up here, and it, because I know there's people out I there. I should have given context. That's my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't react that way, uh, especially after I'm talking about those past the great pool pond. I got to be more uh, better etiquette than that. <laughs> but um, so I'm sorry. But yes, yes, you, sir, you you move your head. It's like if you've listened to me on ESPN over the years, it's like you're on a railroad track and there's a train coming. You don't run back on a train because the train's going to get you. You get off the track. You move your head. Okay? And that's what you do. And then a guy goes right by you, and then you catch him. That's what you do. But you got to be calm. You got to know how to do it. You got to be trained. And you get excited, and you pull back, and that's what happens. Especially if the guy pursues you. Now, to the credit, even though he did it with bad technique, to the credit of Nganu, he followed him. A lot of guys stole. You know, yeah. that's his aggressive, you know, mentality, you know, that I'm going to go after the guy. And he went after the guy, and he caught him at the end. He missed for a while, you know, and then he 
part of what I'm talking about. And then he caught him. Um, so he he made a he broke one of the cardinal rules, you know, one of the things you don't break. Go straight back in front of a guy, and he he got caught. And uh, you know, like I talk about the analogy of the train, he got hit by the train. <laughs> oof, oof, oof. He was out cold. He got Vicious. he got hit by a locomotive. I mean, whoa. Yep. <laughs> so. You know, and, and to the guy out there, I'm sorry for yelling at you. If you do have somebody <laughs> throw punches at you, move your head. You know, don't get hit by the locomotive. Well, to your point about um, Nganu's backstory, for those who don't know, he's from Cameroon. Uh, his parents divorced at a young age. When he was like 12, he went to live with his aunt, was working, and it literally a sand quarry, like with a shovel. Um, at 22, he moved to Paris, in and out of homeless shelters, and he went there to become a professional fighter. And and one of the motivating factors for him is he was a huge fan of um, Mike Tyson, who coincidentally was in the news last week. I'm sure you've probably seen the video clip of him throwing punches on um, w- with a trainer in front of him. And I was curious to get your take of what you thought about Mike's technique. I think that people are overreacting a little bit now. To Mike's credit, Mike Tyson hasn't said he's coming out and like coming out of retirement. It looks like he's just getting in shape and he looks good and he looks fast. But as you probably will point out, it's easy to look good when someone's not punching back. And, you know, last time we saw him in there with Kevin McBride, um, you know, it didn't look like it. He was hitting mitts. But i um, curious to see if you uh, curious to hear your thoughts on the uh, video you saw and um his comparison, the compar- any comparisons to Ngannou. First of all, um, people you say people overreacted a little bit, overreacted <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Again, I use a movie uh, comparison. Uh, I know the people love these movie comparisons, right? I hope they do. We do. Uh, De Niro in Goodfellas, when uh, with Pesci, yeah. when the guy had a problem with Pesci in a bar, and he said, "I didn't insult." He said. Yeah. You insulted him a little bit, a little bit, a little. <laughs> you insulted him a little bit, overreacted yeah. a little bit, Ken, a little bit. Yeah. But um, let's look at the tape right now, okay? Let's let's go to the videotape. Who used to say that? One of the great broadcasters of all time, sports broadcaster, came from Washington, Warner Wolf. There it is, baby, Mister Warner Wolf. This one's for you. Let's watch. Let's go to the. Let's go to the videotape now. Okay. Looks a little... All right. Losing weight. He's a little heavy in the caboose, right? A little bit. It's okay, though. Nobody's bringing that out. Digs into the body. Moved his head. That was one of his signature things. You know, he moved his head, make you miss. Create an opening like I was talking about before. You know, decent speed. Speed is still there. You know, thrown with bad intentions. Putting his body into it, right? Swiveling into it. Right, putting his back into it, getting every ounce of himself into it, not just hitting the surface, going through the surface, right? Doing all that stuff. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. You see anybody throw back at him, Ken? Nope. Well, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, the pad came at him. He went under that, but it's pads usually don't hurt you, you know, too much. Um, but. Yeah, that's a nice thing. If he fights for charity, you know what? I'll be the first guy to say, hey, thank you for doing that. I will. I'll be the first guy to do that. Um, Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with that? That's fine. 
I think maybe it's more on the trainer's part that he was kind of, uh, what's the word, juicing it up a little bit. He was stoking it up a little. Yeah. I think it was more from him. Maybe he's looking for, I don't know, I don't I don't know the guy, but maybe he's looking for some kind of comeback where if he does do more than hit the, uh, I mean, how much can he get paid for holding the pants, you know? What's the going price yeah. for that, right? <laughs> but But maybe if he actually... Right, I don't know, but maybe if he actually yeah. comes back and fights, maybe and he stokes it up and he fights, maybe there's a obviously there's a little more money in it for him. Look, um, there I am having a uh, cynical thoughts. Oh, 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 oh! Where do those come from? <laughs> where do they come from? Oh my God! But look, he looked the way he's always going to look. He's that kind of athlete he's that kind of even x amount of years later at whatever age he's at uh, he he's he's that kind of you know he's got that kind of dna he's he's i mean it's like riding a bike to him it's uh, obviously it's muscle memory he knows how to do these things he started doing them with us when he was 12 he's 53 now almost 54 he was one of the best at it uh you know so doing it in that kind of atmosphere with no stress you know, just just doing an athletic move. Let me let me put it the way that I think is fair to put it. It would be like the great Henry Aaron, right? The great Henry Aaron at at the age that he's at. Um, I think he's eighty six years old. But even let's go back. Let's say Henry Aaron at seventy six. Let's go back. Let's say Henry Aaron at 66. Whatever. You get the point. It's like him in a batting cage and somebody took a video. And he's 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 hitting the ball out in a batting cage. Oh, oh, oh I don't think anybody's gonna go saying, Oh, I, I wanna I wanna see him against Verlander. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think anybody's gonna be going on this thing called the internet. Right, right, Ken, and 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 putting yep. stuff out there, which they put stuff out there. These nice people, right? These nice people, uh, maybe they get a little carried away with themselves, Ken. A little bit, maybe, uh, just a little bit. They get a little emotional, right? They get a little crazy. We all get a little crazy. Would they get crazy if the great Hank Aaron went into a batting cage? at 86, 76, 66, and he was hitting home runs in a batting cage. Would they say, ho, 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 if he wants next month, he can come back. <laughs> he can come back against the Tigers. <laughs> and and Volanda's in a lot of trouble. Oh, ho, ho. oh Strasburg. <laughs> oh, Strasburg, you better, you better get out of town, Strasburg. You better not pitch that day. <laughs> I mean, Ken, 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 help me here. Help these people. Ken, help these people. Really? Come on, talk to them. I, I mean, really, he's going to come back. He's going to be. Oh, I mean, again, I'll use another analogy. Michael Jordan, all right, the greatest. And and he's a good one because he's he's out there now with the with with the documentary right the last dance right yeah. everybody's watching it and 
Yeah. So arguably the greatest. I think he was the greatest. That's subjective. Okay. But what are the greatest of all time? How old is he? He's probably around Tyson's age. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Roughly, so it's a good yeah. one. Here's a good one. Okay. Somebody takes a videotape of him in a gym uh, hitting 15 straight three-pointers. <laughs> right? It's, right? I'm sure he could do that with his eyes closed. It's my, uh, he hits 15 straight. See the follow-through, Ken? <laughs> Excellent technique. Yeah. 15 straight three-pointers. <laughs> There's nobody on that internet saying, ha-ha, LeBron, look out. <laughs> look out, <laughs> Greek freak. What, what, uh, look out. What's his name? The Greek freak. He's a, Giannis. Yeah, Gantan yeah. Kupu. Something like Giannis, that. Giannis, uh, you know what? You better, you better be sick that day. You better be sick. <laughs> you, you better forget to bring your sneakers to work that day so you don't have to get on that court <laughs> and get embarrassed by MJ. Okay? All right. Now, you know what? I gave you enough. I gave you enough to drive people crazy for, for, for my man, <laughs> our man, Rob, to put stuff up there where everybody can, is going to like get their freaking best teeth out and just like ready to rip my juggler out of my neck. Good. Go ahead. Come. Come on. Come on. <laughs> well, by the way, Ngannou, in his last four fights, including last night, he, he has four wins and he's fought a total of two minutes and 42 seconds in the octagon. He's just like blasting people out of there. Listen, uh, is it is it he's in with the right guys, or, or the the you know whatever maybe, or but it's a combination of his natural power, and you know guys make mistake, and when you make a mistake with a guy who can punch like that, just like Deontay Wilder, um, you're gonna pay a price. You're gonna pay a price, and I, I'll yep. finish my my breakdown of this fight. I said a lot of good things and what I, most importantly, things that needed to be said from an analytics, analytical standpoint. Um, sooner or later, as great a story as this guy is, if he doesn't improve in those technical areas, it'll, it'll come to an end just like it came to an end for Wilder. It does. It's just, it's just the law of physics. You know, it's the law of gravity. What goes up has to come down. I mean, sooner or later, Ken, you could take that to the bank. You know, that it doesn't make me any smarter than the next guy, but I know this business. Uh, you, you, And in any business, you're making those kind of serious mistakes. You might be having that great eraser, and you it erases a lot of mistakes, that power. And it does. It does. Uh, it takes care of a lot of sins. But sooner or later... If you don't correct those things, you will pay a price. It will end, just like it did for Wilder. Sooner or later, uh, if you're around long enough. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll be curious to see what happens there. He's in line for, supposed to be in line for a title shot, but the heavyweight division's a mess there. They got uh, the champion is uh, Stipe Miocic, who's a full-time firefighter in, um, I think, Cleveland, and didn't want to come. Uh, I don't think he wanted to get involved with the... Um, whole covid situation don't quote me on that in case i'm wrong i don't want to get it savaged on the internet but anyway it'd be curious to see i think he's next they're, they're trying to make cormier uh miocic and uh maybe in ghana will get the winner be interesting to see but um co-main event 
Henry Cejudo, Olympic champion, uh, two weight division champion, fighting Dominic Cruz. Now, when you say Olympic champion, just qualify it. You mean a gold medalist in wrestling? Yes. Okay, yeah. Gold medalist in Olympic wrestling, uh, fighting Dominic Cruz, former champion. Dominic's been dealing with a ton of. Um, uh, injuries over the years he's been in and out of the ring for long stretches um, one of the questions coming into the fight was about ring rust is it real and before we get into the fight itself i'd love to hear your thoughts on ring rust do you think it's real do you think that guys need a tune-up fight um does it take a little while to get that instinct back regardless of how much sparring you've done what are your thoughts i think it's real i mean i think it's tangible i think uh because Cruz has said he thinks it's all mental. He doesn't believe that ring rust is a real thing. Listen, I'm I'm the guy that's a great, great believer in the strength of, you know, the mind. I mean, I'm always going to be on that side of arguments. If a guy believes something strong enough, he makes it he makes it real. If you you, you know, mm -hmm. you can believe something into reality. You can. And if he believes, you know, that uh, I'll make a little bit of a comparison. Uh, some of the people will get a kick out of this. But one of the taboos in my sport, in boxing, going way back, way, way back, is that you shouldn't have sex before a fight, that a fight it will drain their legs, it will weaken their legs. And a lot of people believe that that it would physically weaken your legs. And Cus, when I was a young trainer with Cus, he made sure he talked to me about that. And he uh, he said, look, you want your fighters doing the right thing and you don't want them gallivanting around before a fight and all that stuff. That's the main thing. You want them to live by a certain code of conduct and discipline and sacrifice uh, because it's the right way to prepare for something. You know, it is. But... Um, but that's all hogwash with with that. That's, uh, you know, that's just like an old wife's tale, whatever you want to call it. He said there's no physical facts behind it. He said, but if people believe, he said, think about it. The act of having sex, what it's going to what it's going to do to you physically. He said, what's it going to do? That's going to weaken you. That That's going to leave you without physical stamina to go in the ring. He said, are you, are you kidding me? Then you better not walk up steps before the fight. <laughs> you know, he, I mean, he got right to the point. And, and, you know, so he took away the myth from it, the BS from it, and, and made you look at what, what you were agreeing to, what you were believing in, and, or be, being sold. And so, you know, it's like selling somebody, you know, property. This is great riverfront property. It looks a little swampy to me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it looks a little, a lot of mosquitoes over there, and those seems to be <laughs> lily pads. I mean, you sure this is riverfront prime property? Oh, I'm not sure. So, you know, he, he made the point to me that he had these two fighters, Jimmy Arness and Mike Bulick. If their family's still alive, I hope they're fans of this show. And, uh, you never know. You know. All of a sudden, you get guy writing in. But, uh, and I always try to give proper dues, the proper dues and the proper respect to these guys that weren't known, but yet they were 
terrific fighters and they plied their trade and everything else, but you don't know about them because they weren't champions or big name, whatever. But anyway, he had these two guys and they were both, they broke all the rules in the world <laughs> when it came to this stuff, Ken. Everything. He, he said, oh my God. Yeah. He, said, <laughs> he said they broke all the rules. He said they never, ever, ever got tired. They never got tired. They were like they were like the energy drives a bunny, you know, uh, and they were the, like the bunny in other ways too. Without you know, obviously, <laughs> and they they just they never stopped throwing punches. He said these guys were like Harry Greb, the Pittsburgh Windmill, or Henry Armstrong, you know, hammering Hank. I mean, they never stopped. They never freaking tired, and. uh you know what else they were? They were deaf mutes. They couldn't hear anything. So Cuss attributed it to they couldn't hear the BS. That was they couldn't hear all the crap that you're supposed to get tired. So they didn't get tired because it didn't mentally affect them. Because otherwise, when things get tough and you're in a tough in life, in life, you go you look for excuses. And all of a sudden, that's a handy excuse. Ah, oh, gee, I, I had sex with that girl the other day. And it's a tough fight. And there's no getting around <laughs> it. It is a tough fight. And you got to push through it. All of a sudden, that becomes an excuse. Just yeah. like people in other things in life. Becomes an excuse. Oh, I didn't do this. You know? And, and it's got nothing to do with it. Maybe you shouldn't have done it. It's got nothing to do with it. But you're using it for an excuse. Yeah. And it was a great story to me. You know that these guys never got tired. They broke all the rules, and uh, but they couldn't hear. They, they couldn't hear it, so it didn't affect them. It didn't creep in like the ninjas over the wall that creep in, in the middle of the night when you're not looking. You know to attack you, to undermine you, and so you could have the same thing here. That I think the rust has more tangible uh, effect on you. Because if you're away for three years, I think he was away over three years. Um, if you're away that long, there's a tangible effect. There's something tangible that you're not in a ring. You still could be training and you could be doing everything in the gym. But you're not actually, it's kind of like what they talk about the speed of the game. When they talk about an NFL player coming back. Yeah, he's been training. He's been off for a while. But it's going to take him a while to get used to the speed of the game. And it's true. It's usually true. Or a basketball player. It's going to take a while to get ready to the speed of the game. Again, even though he's been doing everything, you know, in practice, he's been doing everything, but it's nothing like the actual event. And so I think there's something tangible that happens, the erosion of timing. But I do think there's a mental component to it too. The erosion mentally, the erosion of timing, the erosion of your reflexes being put to the test and up to the test. I think that's all part of it, Ken, and that's real. But mm -hmm. I also think it's real that the erosion is mental, that you believe it's going to affect you. And if you believe it's going to affect you, you make it happen. It affects you. Mm -hmm. When something's going tough, normally you throw it to the side. It's part of the game. I just got to get through it. It's part of the deal. But now it's not part of the deal. Now it's because of that. And you start giving mm -hmm. in. That's what happens in life. And 
if, yep. if this guy is the kind of guy that's mentally at that level where he's beyond that, it doesn't impact him. He doesn't let it impact him. Again, like that line in The Godfather. What a movie. I salute Don Corleone. <laughs> I salute Don Corleone with all those politicians in your pocket like so many nickels and dimes. <laughs> I salute. If a million dollars of seed money is nothing, I salute. So, or 10 million, whatever it was. So, hey, more power to him. Uh, there's guys like that. There's guys like that. And if he's one of those guys, so I'm not going to blame the final result on what happened because of his being off. He's not blaming it. He's a real fighter. He's not blaming it. So, but it could have had a, an effect. It could have had an effect. But you know what had a, and it maybe was part of this, but what really had an effect in that fight was, again, the fight plan. Uh, sticking to it, the discipline, recognizing what you're in there with, recognizing the strengths and weaknesses of your opponent, knowing what you're preparing for. You know, Sajudo, he recognized that he had a guy that was going to move. And like the similarities, the parallels I talk about in my sport in boxing, they were there again. They were there again. Because if you know that you got a guy who's going to move, and you're going into a fight, you go to the body, you plan on it, you cut the ring down, you take space away, but you go to the body, why? So you could take his legs away late in the fight, slow him down. But in, in this tough sport, right? My sport's tough too. This sport's really, really tough. In this sport, you take a guy's legs away by really literally taking him away. You kick the crap out of him. <laughs> you bust yep. him up. And... To the credit of Judo, he understood that. And what did he do? He started taking his legs away early. Like, you know, banging his legs with his, with, his, with his feet. And so he understood what he needed to do better than the other guy understood my point. Because Cruz yep. was taller and longer. For me, the other guy was shorter, Judo. For me, his plan, Sajudo understood what he had to do. He had to take his legs away to slow him down. The other guy, Cruz, should have understood, hey, I'm longer, I'm taller. You know what I got to do? This little guy's got to come to me to get me. I don't have to come to him. So that's what I do. It's what I don't do. I don't freaking come to him. When he comes to me, bang, bang, I time him. I don't come to him. I let him come to me. I don't give him my legs. I try to keep my legs out of play. But when he comes to me, I time, I make him come to me, and I time him coming to me. But I don't make his job easy by coming to him because now he doesn't have to take risks to get to me. You should make the smaller guy go to a bad neighborhood and get mugged. Make him take risk. Make him come to you to get to you because you're taller, right? But he didn't have to take that risk because... Cruz did his job for him. He went to him. And ultimately, in the end, and again, it wasn't really mentioned a lot. We haven't talked about it because the main thing is he did such a, he understood the plan. He was taking his legs away. He was disciplined. The commentators did make the point that his technique was better. All the right things. But for me, when I'm watching it, what I saw 
was consistent throughout the whole night what I was looking for, and that's the way it ended. Where at the end when he got caught with that knee, when Cruz got caught with that knee and then he argued that the fight was stopped a little too soon, right? You know, at the, yep. but when he got caught, forget about the argument. Forget about all that. I thought he was hurt. I thought the referee made the right call. But again, you could argue it either way. Uh, uh, fine. I'm, I'm not. I'm not taking that away from Cruz. All I'm saying is, you put yourself in that position because the taller, longer guy, you reached in, you reached in, and when you reached in to to get to the shorter guy, which you should not be doing, that's when he counted you with a knee and caught you with the knee and put you in that position. So you were not consistent with understanding your game plan, understanding your physical advantages in that match and using them. The other guy did. The other guy understood what he needed to do better than you understood what you needed to do. You should not be reaching in with a short guy because you make yourself available to a counter. And he was available to a counter knee. Yep. Well, one of the interesting things that happened after the fight, I agree with you. I thought the stoppage was good too, although right as the ref jumped in, Cruz was starting to try to get to his feet, but you can't take 10, 11 unanswered shots without making a move to like defend yourself or get up. Like, So anyway, that argument aside, Cruz came out after the fight and said that the referee smelled of cigarettes and booze during the fight at the in the ring prior to the start of the fight. I've never heard I've never heard of that before and I would find that that seems a bit far fetched. I mean it's hard to say what's true and what's not, but I would have a hard time believing that the ref at the UFC is drinking and smoking before he gets in the ring just with the amount of like people around. Now granted they're doing the social uh, the isolation thing there, but I just don't know how you slip away from people smoking and drinking before a fight. I'll be curious to see how this plays itself out because I'm sure the ref's not going to be happy about that if it's not true. Well, Dana White's not going to be happy because it, it's, it starts to speak to the integrity of it was a good night. We started yep. this by saying it was yep. a good night. You don't want something bad. Very good. You don't want something bad, and that's bad. That's bad. You don't yep. want something bad yep. coming in. You don't want to start. There's a reason why Pete Rose... And a lot of people could argue, and I, I'll argue it too, but why he's still not in the Hall of Fame and why he's still not allowed in baseball because he bet on the game, something that directly impacted the integrity of the game and they understood the guys who rule that game, the guys who run that game, the guys who enforce that game, they administrate that game. They understood one thing, no matter what. You can have fights, you can have this, you can have whatever. You even have guys stealing signals and they, you know, they they um, punish the Houston Astros or whatever. Houston Astros, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they punish them for stealing signals. You can survive all that, but you can't survive betting on the game. You can't compromise the game in that way. You can't, that speaks to the core of the integrity of the game. You can't do that. So that's why Pete Rose, a lot of people think he should still be in the Hall of Fame. But that's an argument for another day. But that's why he was booted out. And that's why it was so severe. Because he bet on the game. And this is something, again, that Dana White doesn't want to hear. He's gonna, I'm sure he's going to have to look into it. Because that's something you want to you clear any talk of that out of the way. You want to remove any any 
any suggestion of that because for the same reason why Pete Rose is not in baseball. Because that, other than other things, all the other things you can survive that I just pointed out, but that you can't. Because if any of that kind of chicanery chicanery is going on, you're going to lose the audience because now they can't trust the game. They can't trust it to be pure. And it's the same thing here. Dana White, I'm sure, is going to have to look into this. And and I, it sounds very far-fetched. I agree with you. But still, that's something that you can't tolerate, even for a hint of it to be out there when, when you're running that organization the way Dana White runs the organization and he does a good job. You, you can't have any of that, any of that, thought uh, of uh, a yep. hint of where the integrity of the game where a, a referee could be tainted where he could stop a fight if, if he could be drunk and then he could do other things wrong he could possibly be if he's stupid enough if, if it's if you if the rules are lax enough to let a guy be drunk uh, as a referee in the ring, then it could be lax enough where somebody could get to him and give him ten thousand uh, to stop a fight that shouldn't be stopped. Yeah. So uh, this is something again. This is an accusation from this fighter that has to be looked at only because the the seriousness of what what it speaks upon, what it you know what it, what it what it touches to. The integrity of the game, yeah. that, that a, a referee could be tainted, a referee could be influenced, whether it's by being drunk or yep. any other way. So, uh, and, and look, this, yeah, is a, be curious. this is a proud fighter. This is a proud fighter. This is a guy that yeah. uh, he went 10 years without a loss, Ken. This is not an ordinary guy. This is not an ordinary guy. This is like Carlos Monzon in boxing who went 13 years, the great middleweight champ, one of the greatest fighters of all time, without a loss. He went 10 years, a decade, oh my goodness, without a loss. Um, so this is a proud, proud, special guy, and he was hurt. I, I, you know, the mentality of a fighter, he's hurt that, that the fight stopped. He's never been stopped before. He, you know, it's... It, it it hurts his pride, you know. His yeah. Uh, what really matters? It's not the money that he ain't gonna make or whatever. Going back to the back of the line and work your way. It's it's not that. You you know that with a guy like this. It's just that he's so proud that he probably can. You know, part of what makes him so good that he could win for ten straight years without losing is his ego, his belief that. You can't beat me, you know? And that was taken away by a referee's decision. And he probably, even though I think it was the right decision, he probably can't see that. And I can't blame him because he wouldn't be who he is if he could see it. He wouldn't be who he is. But to make that accusation, you got to believe that he either really thinks that or that it was true because I just can't see a guy with that kind of reputation making such an outrageous accusation. I don't know if he really thinks it. I just think along the lines of what I was saying, that's my feeling, is that he just can't, his ego can't buy the fact that that he couldn't get up because in his mind he could get up and he's probably right. He could get up, but that doesn't mean 
that the referee didn't do the right thing. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't because the referee's looking at how affected he is, how impacted he was from the punches. He might be able to get up and then get hit and get really hurt. So, but in his mind, I could see him with his belief and with the with the wherewithal that he has with the greatness inside himself that allowed him to go 10 years without losing, Ken, that he just can't accept that. Yeah. Anything but that. And I get it. I get it. But that doesn't mean he's right about the ref. Yeah. Well, it was, a, it was uh, an impressive performance by Cejudo, who now, uh, after the fight, announced his retirement. So will go out on top as the uh, champ of two weight divisions and with his Olympic gold medal in wrestling. And that brings us to the, uh, to the main event. Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje, only two losses, by the way. One of them to a friend of the show, Dustin Poirier, and the other to Eddie Alvarez. I spoke with Dustin Poirier before this event, and he told me uh, in the co-main and the main, he liked Cejudo and Gaethje. And Gaethje was almost two-to-one underdog, and I happened to agree with him. Um, but, and, and for the rec, Dustin said after the fight, I'll beat Gaethje again. Just uh, please let Teddy know. Um, but this fight was... All action, super entertaining, lived up to all the hype. Incredible performance by Justin Gaethje. I think he showed um, an incredible ability to get better and get smarter because he was known known as an all-action fighter, but he got hit a lot. And one of the things he said after the fight was that in going back and working with his trainer, he's basically trying to remedy the problems he was having with getting hit so much, and it looks like he's done it because Ferguson is known as being a ferocious striker. And... Um, uh, man, I loved this fight. Every minute of it was unbelievable. Both guys were damaged. Obviously, Ferguson a lot more than Gaethje. But um, what'd you think of this one? Well, it shows you how special Poirier is that he beat this guy. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's he'll be a champion again, Poirier. Yeah, I have no doubt about that. Um, but having said that, that's that's my feeling, you know. Um, some haters out there might say something about that too. That's okay. Um, it'll be a hell of a fight though. Uh, maybe that's what I should start by saying. I pay for that. I pay for that <laughs> because yeah. of the styles. Same. Because of the styles. They're both terrific strikers. I like that. You know, mm -hmm. good punches, good strikers, always positioned, balanced, you know, in position to strike. You know, that's, that's one of the compliments I give the great, uh, boxer Inoue. In, in a way, the Japanese fighter who they yeah. call the monster that's won the title so early, so few fights, and in so many divisions, you know, Ken? Uh, one of the, his greatest strengths is that he's always balanced. He's always set. He's always in He's never out of position when he throws a punch. But having said that, I will start by saying, boy, these guys are tough. I, I'll say it again. Boy, these guys are tough. I'll say it one more time. Boy, these guys are tough. And But having said that, man, Ken, if you take a rock, a rock is pretty hard to hurt. If you take a rock, a big rock, a boulder maybe, and you crack it with a sledgehammer, it doesn't... It's, it's extraordinary. It's a rock. It doesn't doesn't splinter. It doesn't doesn't 
crack. It doesn't break off. And you crack it and you crack it and you crack it and nothing happens. Then you come back the next day and you crack it and you crack it with a sledgehammer. And nothing happens. And then one day you come back and you just lean on it. And a piece falls off. Kind of like the jab at the end of the night. Hurting this courageous warrior. And that's all I could call him. Uh, just just a, a samurai. A warrior. Gladiator. You pick your choice. And obviously I'm talking about Ferguson. And at the end, you know, he was gone. But it's because he, the rock kept getting hit. Sooner or later, it's going to show. Even when it's not showing, it's having an impact. Something is loosening up. Something is happening. Nobody, no man is a rock unto himself in, in true terms. Philosophically, whatever way you want to, or physically. And that is what took place. But again, the parallels, my sport, this sport. When I was commentating for all those years with ESPN, same thing. It's one thing to be tough. It's another thing, who's the smarter guy? And that was Gaethje. And I'm not taking nothing. I, I love Ferguson. How can you not love? I, I spent the whole beginning of this broadcast talking about men like him. So, of course, I love him. But I love Gaethje, too. That he's ready to, he's ready to, to die. And he said that after the fight. He said, I went in here ready to die. I, I, and, and you know what? I don't usually believe guys when they say it. I believe these guys when they say it. That for that moment, for that moment, they get themselves there. I believe them. I believe them. How else could you perform that way? How else can you leave everything outside the door that you have to leave outside the door? Think about what I'm saying. You got to leave stuff outside the door, human stuff, to go in there ready to deal with what these guys deal with. You got to leave it outside the door. If you think about living, you, you won't be able to do it. I know that sound, people. <laughs> Teddy, yeah, I'm going to tell you a story. Obviously, it's not as severe, but it gets to the point. Customato, the greatest for me, the my mentor, psychologically, everything, technically, the dedicated his whole life to the sport. We just did a podcast on him uh, last week, so if people haven't seen it. If you feel like it, you could see it, and he. Special man understood this realm, this realm, and how it attached to this, to this realm. This is the general, this is just the, the troops. And he told me he was getting ready to go in the army. You know, he, he had been uh, drafted, I guess, and he was getting ready to go in the army. So you know what his first thing that he did? He didn't write a letter. He didn't say goodbye to people. He didn't start doing all that. You know, that could be your first thing. Or you could start packing. But the first thing he did, he started sleeping on the floor. He stopped sleeping on a bed. Why? Because 
he said he had to stop being comfortable with the things that make us comfortable that do not allow us to be ready to do certain things like die. He said in his mind, I'm going in the army, especially back in those days, I'm going in, there's only one thing I got to be prepared to do, die. He said, you know, I don't want to, he didn't want to die. He wasn't going to go run out into the field and say, shoot me. But he, in his mind, he was talking to his young trainer, who he wanted to be a good trainer. And he said, Teddy, I, that, that's how I prepared for it. So it's hard to die if you're living comfortably because you don't want to lose those things. You're human. So I got rid of them one by one. I started getting rid of all the things that made it comfortable to live, that made me want to live, like a comfortable mattress. And I slept on the floor to condition myself and I believe these guys do the same thing. I believe to get ready to go in that ring, they have to be ready in their mind, just like Cus was getting ready for the army, to die. Do they want to die? Of course not. But they have to have that mentality to perform at the level that we watch. And that I spent 20 minutes at the beginning of this podcast trying to give them the, not just the respect, for, for people to appreciate what they truly do and how they do it. They have to prepare themselves and they have to give up comforts of things and thinking of things that would not allow them to be prepared to die. Having said that, it's still about controlling all your assets, your mind, your, your feelings, to be cold. See, if you're willing to die, you can be cold. If you're not willing to die, you're very emotional. Everything impacts you. Everything flirts with you. Everything moves you. Everything confuses you. Influences you in ways that you can't afford to be influenced. So you got to be cold, disciplined. Some people call it patient. I saw Gaethje patient. It wasn't an accident. I saw him cold. I saw him patient. I saw him controlled. I saw him understand something the other guy didn't understand. He understood how to behave like a fighter, no doubt. He always has Ferguson. What a tough son of a bee, again. But he didn't understand how to use his physical assets the best. He only depended on his toughness. Like I call the fights, I bring this out in the ESPN. This guy, Gaethje, didn't depend only on his toughness. Which is what he had a reputation That's for doing right. coming into the fight. He depended on, uh, he used other things. He drew from other things that were there to draw from. Like I said about Salvador Sanchez, when he beat my favorite fighter at the time, the featherweight champ, Danny Indian Red, Little Red Lopez. They called him both. But uh, because 
Sanchez didn't rely only on his toughness. And Little Red, he relied mostly on his toughness. And sometimes it's 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 not enough when the other guy's tough and using these other resources, these other abilities, these other assets. So I saw, like I see I, when I call fights, I saw Gaethje where he understood that Ferguson would give up his height. See, it's one thing I used to always say on ESPN corner fights. This guy's taller. This guy's longer. Everyone loves to put those stats out there, Ken. What do they mean? They mean crap. They mean squat if you don't know how to use them. Oh, this guy's got a reach that's 102 inches. Whoa. That means he could stand across the street and hit you. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's got 100 and he's, and he's seven inches taller. But do they ever bother to tell you if he knows how to use them, how to fight tall, what the freak good is it if you don't know how to freaking use it? And yeah. Ferguson just depends on his toughness. That's enough. He depends, and it's always worked for him, breaking a guy down with pressure. I've always said on ESPN, pressure breaks pipes. It breaks people. Sometimes. Sometimes. But that's what he depends on. He was all in. All his eggs in that one basket. That's what he was going to be. He was tall. He was longer. But he don't know how to fight tall. And he doesn't pay attention to that. He's just going to break you freaking down. And the other guy at this point in his career, and you brought up a good point, he was always known just for being tough. He's gotten wiser. He's gotten smarter. He's gotten to that place in life more desperate, whatever, more urgent, whatever you want to call it. But he got there. It's not enough just to be tough. I got to be the other things. So he went into this fight understanding this guy's going to, is tall and all, means crap <coughs> because he's going to give up his height. He's going to come to me. That's predictability. I can take advantage of that predictability. I can count on that. When he comes in, I ain't going to him. I'm going to set. I'm going to be ready, and when he comes in, I'm going to time him. I'm going to counter the crap out of him. Yeah, he's a tough son of a gun. Yeah, he's a rock, but I'm going to keep hitting that rock all night until it starts to splinter, until it starts to flake. It's still, it starts to break off, and that's what he did. He was patient. He was together. He was smart. He was prepared. He was the best he could be. Because he wasn't just tough. He was everything. And what he did was, again, he let this Ferguson who always comes at you like a bull, seeing red. And he came at him. And he didn't, he didn't go and throw the first lead. He drew the counter. When the guy reached in, bang! When the guy came bang! He timed him. He timed him and he timed him all night, and he needs he he deserves credit for that. He deserves mm -hmm. credit for that. Yeah, the other guy's still just as tough. Still, but he's the loser because he was only dependent only on that, and that's the parallels in life. That's the parallels in boxing and MMA, UFC. That's the parallels. It always comes down to that. When it doesn't, it's just because the guy didn't use it. 
but it still was there. And that's what I saw in that fight. Did you happen to notice when Gaethje's, Gaethje had the fight in hand, maybe between the second and third? He made I one mean, mistake. I mean, he made one mistake. I'm going to jump on you. He made one mistake. Yeah. Gaethje, because with that kind of fight, there's not a lot of margin for And he made one mistake. He, he broke his own rule. He led with an uppercut. Maybe it's what you were about to talk about. He, I forget where it was. It was at some point at the end of the... I think it was the end of the second. He, he started to lead with a wide, fat... That's what I used to always call him. You know, I used to say he mm-hmm. needs to go to the butcher shop and get, get the butcher to cut a little fat off that punch. Cut a little fat off it. <laughs> he led. He made one mistake, Ken. He started, to, I think it was a right uppercut. He started to lead with a f- yep. wide right uppercut, which he didn't do all night. And he got beat to the punch. And he got hurt. But then he came back the next round. He picked up where he left off. He, he probably yelled at himself, probably smacked himself in the head, said, damn it. Come on. Come on, stupid, stupid. <laughs> All night you know what you got to do, and now you're going to make a mistake? No more mistakes. And for the rest of the night, he didn't make a mistake. I was going to say, I think in between one of the late rounds, the, the trainer said to him, don't, don't make that same mistake. Don't get out there and get reckless. You're doing perfect. Keep, stay patient. Every time he got him hurt, he wasn't rushing in. He just let him like do the crazy leg dance as he was wobbled and then just got back to being patient. And when the trainer said, you've been in this position before and made the mistakes, and then Gaethje just looks at him and said, yeah, I did that twice. And I got caught. That's called being honest with yourself. That's called being prepared. I was just curious if you saw that. I thought it was an interesting moment. He had lost. He had lost that way before. But that's why I mean, at this point in his career, wiser, older, wiser, more urgency, whatever the freak it was, being aware, being honest, you know, looking yourself in the mirror, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, he was aware of his mistakes that cost him. And this night, they weren't going to cost him. They almost did, but they weren't going to cost him. The other thing I wanted to ask you is about um, what do you think about Ferguson was in camp for, I mean, I don't know how long. It seems like a never-ending camp, maybe since January or something, because the fight kept getting, the fight with um, with uh, Khabib kept getting uh, pushed back due to the COVID. So he's been in camp for a long time. And actually, on the date of the original fight, which I think was about three weeks ago, Ferguson actually made weight. And he's like got a cut to get to there. And he just did it because he said that... Um, Basically, he needed to follow through for himself and just make weight. So he made weight three weeks ago. But again, that's what makes Ferguson so unique and so interesting. You know, what are your thoughts on this, the length of the camp and doing things to yourself like making weight three weeks out? It's got to take a toll, I would imagine. It shows why my son is a good scout for the Oakland Raiders. He texts me. He texts me during the fight and says, Dad, you think cutting that weight is costing him a price right now? That's what he said to me, my son. And I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Sometimes people, they're trapped by who they are. And who they are is great, and it's enough. Ferguson, who he is, what he's been, one of the most exciting, special, special fighters 
in MMA. I mean, special, special son of a B. What a special, and with love, I'm saying that in a most respectful way. But, I mean, just a special guy. But sometimes you could get trapped. It works, but you could get trapped into being that guy you could, where you can't adapt, where, you know, you're going to live or die with that. And you could get to a situation where somebody could say to you, and it happens in life, again, where somebody could say, Ken, listen, we're not questioning who you are. You shouldn't question who you are. But this time, let's make a little adaptation. You're only three weeks before the fight. If you cut the weight now, it could weaken you a little bit. No, I'm not. Call it what you want, stubborn, Call it, call it being a caveman. Call it being, being regimented. Call it being rugged, because he's rugged. They all are. Whatever you want to call it, call it whatever the freak you want. Call it something. Call it something. Pay attention to it, because that. It's just like when a guy gets to a certain point, a athlete who's been so successful. And it's time to change a little or walk away or whatever. Those times come. His ego doesn't allow it. And people say, oh, gee, look, his ego. To well, his ego made him. Without that power of that ego, he wouldn't have got to there. That's a good point. So maybe his ego destroyed him too. But his ego made him. You got to be in. It's hard to be in these men's shoes. But you got to give it a second of thought. That that's what made him. That's his mentality. That's his mentality that, you know, I'm going to tell you another crazy story about Cuss. Cuss, one time, he, he used to make breakfast for me sometimes, but he, oh, Cuss liked to eat. If, again, if you watch the podcast, <laughs> you're going to find out that we did last week. But he loved to eat. Ken, you know, it was one of those things. He's Italian. He came from a poor family. Uh, there wasn't always enough money, but they always found a way to have enough food. Proud people, you know, just like we have today in, in all walks of life and society. And it stayed with him. You didn't waste anything either. So he, he, he would make eggs for me in the morning. He said, Teddy, what do you want? Six, seven? <laughs> what, <laughs> what do I got a crew with me here? Uh, did I? I thought I came in alone into the kitchen. What? what six, seven, eight? What, what? But that was cuss. I said, no, I, uh, two, two, three. Two! What are you going to do with two? <laughs> that wouldn't fill the cavity in my tooth. All right, cuss, listen. I, give me, uh, how about you give me two and a slice of bacon? I don't know. I, it's like I got to make a deal to get breakfast over here. Like, uh, I, I can't uh, just say I want two. So one day he's making his eggs, seven, eight, nine, whatever it was. And um, he loved hot pepper, you know? Italian, again. I don't know. That's part, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. And um, so he's putting a hot pepper somehow. The lid, it happens, right, Ken? The lid wasn't tight. 
I didn't do it. Ken, don't even dare to think that. That's what I was just Ken, about to say. Ken, I know you did it. How could you think that? Come on. <laughs> so the cap's uh, loose. He goes to sprinkle the red hot pepper, and it, it all falls in. The cap comes off, and it all falls in the eggs. Right? It's rough. <laughs> like my son would say, that's rough. That's rough. Sometimes at the tailgates, you know, we go to the tailgates before the Jets game. I bought season tickets to the Jets because you couldn't get them for the Giants back then. And I wanted to have season tickets so me and my son, when he was a little boy, we we could be together for all the games. And so I bought yeah. season tickets from the Jets. And we'd go to the games. And part of it, a friend of mine ran a tailgate, you know. And... um. The tailgate was a man's tailgate. You know what I'm saying, Ken? It wasn't like yes, I you do. were soft a little bit and your stomach, don't come. You had a weak <laughs> stomach, don't come. Like, like I, I shouldn't even get into some of that. And God bless the guy. The guy was one of my best friends. I loved the guy. Loved him to death. At the, and he, at the Jets parking lot, they would go through there. If your tailgate wasn't man enough, they'd probably just take you and throw you out of the yeah. parking lot. Jets, Jets tailgating is not for the faint of heart. Jets in Buffalo, if you don't bring your A game, they might just scare you right out of the parking lot. I'm speaking lot. to a man that understands. I'm speaking to the right man. <laughs> so, you know, things, uh, my son was like eight years old, seven, eight, you know, growing up. And, and he's watching, you know, he's watching this, you know. And, and the guy, great guy, great, great, great man. But rough, rough. It's a man's tailgate. And so he had nice steaks, and he went to a good butcher. It's not like we were eating anything that wasn't good. It's what happened to the food before it got to your mouth. But but the food, the steaks were prime, prime. So he decided he's got his own little recipe, you know, and he's proud. He's proud of his tailgates. So he puts Peter Luger's steak sauce. You have Peter Luger's steak sauce, Ken? Of course, my favorite, actually. Oh, all right, it's great. So he would put his little touch. He would put it on it. He would put it on it, right? And then he would let it cook, marinate, cook into the steak. You know, it was nice, nice. One little problem. He didn't have one of those brushes to put it on with. So he used his hand. <laughs> so he would wipe it on, all these steaks, these beautiful steaks. There's 30 men waiting for their steaks, 30. And they're waiting for their steaks, and he's got the barbecue. He's got, you know, he had to do a couple rounds because the barbecue could only fit maybe, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten. So he's got to say, and he's rubbing it on the, with the hand, you know. And then he's got to get to the next batch. Well, we might as well go all the way with this, right, Ken? He, he didn't allow napkins. <laughs> He didn't think it was something that would should be allowed in his tailgate. So, <laughs> no. Yeah, he looked his hand clean. <laughs> you, you know, you got to have a clean hand for the next batch. You can't have Peter Luger. I know who this guy is. We're, we're not. We're not putting out any names here. And he. It's Rob Moore. No, 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 <laughs> no. It's not. So, <coughs> you know, he cleans his hand and he goes on to the next batch. He's a guy that I love. He goes on to a few, <laughs> most people, to tell you where we are and the kind of crowd we're in, 
Most people, they're not even, they're not even moving. They're not faced. But a few of the newcomers that had never been here, the newcomers, <laughs> and maybe an eight-year-old, <laughs> they're 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 looking and they're like. <laughs> Kind of like you need Alka-Seltzer already. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're looking like, what the? And all of a sudden he notices because he's great. He's aware of the crowd. He's aware of everything. So he notices, he looks, he goes, wah, wah. What's the matter? Problem? And, you know, he's got the still dripping a little bit. You know, a little bit. He goes, don't worry. And I, you know, I always careful how I talk on this show. But for this one, I'm going to yeah. say it. It's not that bad. But but if you have <laughs> kids, tell them to leave just for a minute. Just for a minute. He goes, why? I wipe my ass with my right hand. <laughs> well, that's, that's comforting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you'd appreciate that. <laughs> I I knew you'd appreciate uh. that, Ken. <laughs> you know? And so getting back to Cuss. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, getting back to Cuss. He dumps the whole thing, the whole red pepper, into this six, seven, eight, nine eggs, whatever he was having. And, but he lives by a cold, like I'm talking about with Ferguson. He lives by a cold that you make a mistake, especially with food, the way he was brought up, you pay for that mistake. You pay for that. You don't throw the eggs in the garbage and put eight new eggs in. You don't do that. You live by a principle, by a freaking cold. So I'm in the kitchen, I'm watching this, and he puts them on. He, 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 gra he graveled, he said a few Italian curse words, maybe. I don't know. And, um, you know, he... he mumbled to himself and then he put him on the plate and he starts eating them I'm standing there because what are you doing and he figures he's giving me a lesson at the same time he says you pay for your mistakes in life Teddy I said the freak you pay, uh, sometimes. throw him out no you gotta pay for your mistakes in life that night, I wanted him to go to the gym with me, right? Because he didn't go to the gym with me all the time. Because he was basically semi-retired. And it was so important for him. He's my mentor. He's my surrogate father in some ways. I want to make him proud. I'm busting my backside training all these fighters. Pros during the day. Amateurs at night. I want him to see what's going on. And a lot of times, he wouldn't come. And then, you know, he'd come maybe once a week. When, and it was a big deal for him to be there for me to show him what I was doing. And he was supposed to come to the gym this night. And he couldn't come. You know why? He was on the toilet bowl. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Crapping out red stuff. <laughs> it was hotter on the way out. And, and he hurt himself. <laughs> and what's the moral to this story? The moral to this story... The point I'll make is a guy like Ferguson, who probably shouldn't have cut the weight, probably shouldn't have cut the weight three weeks before the fight, in all seriousness now, yeah, couldn't get away from what he is. He lives by a cold. 
It worked yep. for him. It, it hardened him. It chiseled him. It, it punished him. But it's what it needed to be that I live up to my obligations, my commitments, what's in front of me. And he was living up to that. I'm cutting a freaking weight like I had a fight. Mm-hmm. Just like Cuss is eating the eggs even though he freaking didn't have to eat them. Because that's the cold. That's the prison. That's what, that's, that's what got him there. That's what got him there. And that mentality sometimes can bring you to great, great, and it did. Heights. Great heights. It could hurt you sometimes. Yep. It could bring you down sometimes. And this was one of those, this was one of those times. But he couldn't, he couldn't shake away from that. Yeah. But to his credit, I think when he made the weight, because there was a little bit of um uh, Khabib was getting a little bit of heat because he was in Russia and he was honoring the, uh, you know, he said, look, I'm not going to come and fight. We don't know what's going on with the virus. He was being smart. And I don't think he had a firm date and an opponent yet in Gaethje. And it was the only thing in front of him was making that weight. So in his defense, I think he made no, the no, weight. No, no, I'm not. Listen, there might you have- don't have to defend them. I am not knocking him. Oh, no, I know you're not. I just wanted to give no, the no, full context. No, no, but I'm applauding him. Yeah. I, I am almost... I am recognizing him for being a special guy and for making himself that special guy. And this is the way he did it. Yeah. I'm just saying that sometimes the things that make you great can destroy you. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. I'm with you. This just got announced that... Uh Ferguson broke his orbital bone in that fight, too. No shock. Did you hear what Rob just said? Yeah. Uh, that's that's the last question I've got for you is... <clears throat> let me let me just tell you, just to make sure you heard what Rob just said. It just got reported. Rob's on top of all this stuff. Uh, it just got reported. And, and for the sake of our audience, we try to be up to date on everything and be responsible with everything, obviously. If you guys are going to be good enough to watch this, we should be good enough to tell you the right things and the things that are out there to tell you um it was just reported that ferguson broke his orbital bone uh during the yeah. fight yeah i i had heard that and that's what i would the last question i have for you is that at the end of the fight when gaethje hit him with a stiff left jab did you notice ferguson he kind of shook his head like something's wrong like it, when it hit him it was clear that something broke something happened because the guy's been getting hit with bombs all night and hasn't been but it was also coming. the rock it was also the rock yeah it was the rock I can i stick to that to i into the i i dropped that right here which might make a few people out there watch the replay of this Actually, when might. you saw that, when when you saw that happen, what was your? Were you thinking like, oh, something, no, something I, clearly? I, was- I, no, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to jump on that that you're putting out there for me, and say, oh, gee, you know, a bone broke. No, I saw the blood though, so I saw something happen. Uh, if I thought in those areas, I probably would have been. I mean, like, uh, you know, just the collapse of something in his nose and and like it's the last straw of it i mean after all this punishment you know the dam finally broke so to speak yeah but my main thought was what i spoke about here that the rock got hit so many times it broke it broke and now it didn't take a big blow to break it it didn't take the sledgehammer 
It just took leaning on the rock to make it break at that point. It was a jab. Yeah, and I thought that the ref did a great job because he could tell right away, oh, this isn't a normal reaction. He's shaking his head. He's almost not quite turning his back, but he's clearly like something has gone wrong. And you notice that when the ref stopped it, there wasn't an ounce of protest from Ferguson. Like clearly something was amiss because a fighter like that's not going to go out standing on his feet from a jab. So it was interesting that um, the way that thing came to an end, but... Nevertheless, what an awesome fight. Jeez, that was uh that was worth the price of admission for me. And you know what's great is that now they've got this setup down there in Jacksonville. They got another fight this Wednesday and another fight next Saturday. And uh I'm looking for I'm looking forward to those probably more than I was this one now, seeing what they put together. And um yeah, awesome card. Um that's all I got. You got anything else before we sign off? No, I think it was a good show. I don't always say that. I think we try to make them all good for you guys. But I think it was a good show, and hopefully the people think that, especially now because uh, it, it it touches on the first live sports that's been around for two months. That And we yep. we tried to tie it, all, tie it all up and cover it as well as we could cover it, being that it's the yep. first. We try to do that with every show, but... Especially now with it being the first show back. Yep. And the last thing I'll leave it on is Dana White leads the pack. Listen, if he didn't, I'd say Dana White, you know, you you belong in the uh, outhouse. I have no problem saying, I think people know me already. I, I say what I believe. Right now, Dana White uh, took a step forward again as probably the leader in combat sports. And I'm including my sport, which I think is the greatest sport in the world. And it's been around 200 years. Uh, but he, he's the leader right now. He, he probably, if this was a horse race, he inched his horse ahead of my horse, boxing. But I have appreciation for thoroughbreds. I have appreciation for athletes, for special people. And um, so I have appreciation for the UFC. I have appreciation for anybody who puts them, that trains for so many years so hard, sacrifices so much, gives up so much to be the best they can and then challenge themselves on that kind of stage, any kind of stage, football field, anywhere, standing on in a batter's box with a guy throwing a ball at you 100 miles an hour, whatever it happens to be, people that are willing to put themselves through the trials, you have to put yourself to sacrifice the commitment to get to that level and then not afraid to walk out on that stage and say, judge me, watch me, applaud me, I'm great. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And um, I think right now there's got to be somebody in charge there's got to be somebody that's, you know, running the store, making decisions from the business end. And I think right now that somebody in our sports, of combat sports, that's on top of the hill is Dana White. He's doing it better than anybody else right now. And for a lot of reasons. Not just because he came back in this pandemic and he seems to have handled the right way. Very difficult. Very difficult. 
And who's to say if, you know, I, I don't want anyone coming back too soon. Life is comes first. Life comes first. It's kind of like what beats, you know, what beats a, a, a straight, a full house. You know, what beats the problem of our economic world? Life. Worrying about economics, worrying about, you know, obviously all those things that are so important. Very important. But life, life beats all of it. But I think he did it. You have to do it the right way. You have to think you're doing it the right way. Nobody knows for sure with such things. We're in new territory here. But I think White thought it out and seems to have done it the right way. He gets credit from me at least right now for that. And he got credit for me before this because he's got a sport where there's a reason why the show was great last night and why they're usually great. You know why, Ken? Underdogs win at a rate that doesn't happen in other sports. Doesn't happen in my sport. Underdogs win is the greatest thing in the world. Ruiz when he knocked out Joshua. Including in the main event last night. Yeah, uh, including in the main event. But it happens in our sport in boxing, but not on a regular, in a, not, not as much as it happens in UFC, and there's a reason for it. Because Dana White makes competitive matches on a more consistent basis than you can make it in boxing. You get a lot of A's against B's. The A's always going to win against B's and box. And then you get great matches. Don't get me wrong. You get great, unbelievable matches. And sometimes you don't even see them. They're, they're on the prelims early on a four-round or a six-round. It's a shame you don't see them. You're only looking for the 10-rounders, the 12-rounders, the marquee fights, you know, all that stuff. But... In boxing, there's there's a problem because you have the separate power brokers. You don't have a national commission. You don't have anybody enforcing any any uniform rules. You know any way to go about this in a consistent way. You know saying, well, this these guys shouldn't be in there with these guys. You know, um, you, you know because it's not competitive or whatever. You know, uh, you don't have any system in place to do that. Uh, you have you have separate commissions all over the country. You have promoters that have relationships with the separate commissions and with the organizations. The organization says, this guy, how many times have you seen a guy rated number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, high rating, and the guy's, the guy's not that good. Yeah, the guy's not that good. Yeah, usually they are, but the guy's yeah, not that no, good. good point. The guy's not that good. How do he get there? How do he get there? I'm not going to go into it right now. Figure it out. If you listen to me enough, you already know. If you don't have your head up somewhere that it shouldn't be up, and it shouldn't be up there, by the way, <laughs> you probably know already the answer. But that's a problem, and that's why you get fights. And you get title fights even sometimes and number one contenders sometimes that are not what they should be. 
And you have, obviously, the promoters that are on se separate places with separate television entities, different networks. Right now, you you got the three... The three, there's a movie coming out, a documentary movie coming out. Um, Showtime's going to present it. I think it's going to be a hell of a documentary. It's called The Four Kings. It's about Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran, and the great Marvin Hagler. They're all great. And it's called The Four Kings. And it's, it's probably going to be great. Well, you know what? How could it not be great with those guys? But there's three kings right now in the promotional network business. Basically. Basically. You got Hearns with the zone. You got you got Heyman with PBC and Fox. You know, and then he also has a deal where he's got a certain amount of fights on Showtime. And you got Aram and Top Rank with ESPN. You got the three kings. You got mm -hmm. the three kings. Right? But they got. They each got their own inventory, their own stable, if you will, of fighters. The problem is they don't let them fight the other guys' fighters usually, unless the money's so great that they have to. But that doesn't happen too often, or unless there's some other urgency, where maybe they made a deal with a network for X amount of shows a year, and they don't have that inventory, and they trick the executives a little bit. Maybe, you know where the executives thought they had a larger inventory. You know, they yeah. they, they, saw, <laughs> they saw the showcase window, like Macy's window at Christmas. You know, that, that window looks good. It looks good. But you got to check the warehouse to see if there's inventory behind the window. And so sometimes they make a deal for X amount, of, and they don't have the inventory. So they got to go and make a deal with different promoters to, to kind of, uh, you know, to, to be able to sub out, if you will. I think that's a good yes. word. To sub it out. To, to be able to make up for that lack of inventory. To reach that number. That number of dates that you have to do. But for the most part, their guys aren't fighting your guys or your guys. They're not. So, you don't have the best fighting the best. You have a lot. You have a few that are good. And then you have a lot that aren't that good. In between. There's too much of a drop off. There's no consistency with the product, with the with the level of the product. With the uh, there's, but because of what I just described, because you got again, their guys aren't going to fight your guys. Your guys are so they got some of the best. He's got some of the best. He's got some of the best. What good is it? What good is it? It makes a nice poster. It makes a real. It makes a nice advertisement. And that makes a nice, uh, if you take out, if, what do you call it? If you take out a, a page in, in a uh, catalog, you know, if you, if you take an ad out and you put all the faces of your guy, looks good. Looks good. But what good is it beyond that? They're not fighting the best guys in a ring. UFC, they are. They always are. The best guys are always fighting each other. Always yep. fighting each other. Hey, I call it the way it is. Let's go all the way with that. They have a dictator, but he hasn't killed anybody the last I checked. So that you know, it's it's not like a like Oriego, Noriego, or 
you know, one of these <laughs> other guys. But but still, he in, in his mentality, he runs things. He's in charge, Dana White. But the and and maybe maybe that could there could be some problems with that. There can be some inequities with that. We won't go into that right now. But I'm being fair. But at the end of the day. It makes for a pretty good business, a pretty good business model, a pretty good. If you were, if you were one of the stockholders, you'd be pretty happy with what you're getting, because you're getting a pretty damn consistent product. Because he's telling everybody who they got to fight, and and there's nobody hiding out. Everyone's got to get in the pool, in the pool, baby. Everyone gets wet. <laughs> everyone yep, gets wet. That's for sure. And and so everyone's got to fight everybody. And you, that's why you get shows consistently that there's underdogs winning and, and beating fake because every because you can't avoid guys. Everyone's got to fight everyone. Yeah. And there's another byproduct to that that I think works for the UFC is that you see guys, whether it's Poirier, tremendous champion, came back I mean or whether it's whether it's uh Gaethje or whether it's all these guys Ferguson would be another one but you see all of them you see guys they'll wind up with three four five six seven losses if that happened in boxing you wouldn't even be talking about the guy he'd be like off to the foreign legion <laughs> you really yeah, you, yeah. you'd be like and but it doesn't happen because they get put right back in the pool. They get put right back in with the top guy, with the champion. They they don't get thrown the foreign legion. They don't. They're not one of those cops that get get, get put in, to, get sent to the North Pole. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, they used to joke about a cop. You're gonna be you're gonna be walking a beat in the North Pole. <laughs> That's where you're gonna be walking a beat in the North Pole. You, yeah. You better watch. Uh, they, that doesn't happen. No, they come yeah. right back. Dana White, the guy who runs it all, they come right back and they fight a top guy. And you know what? They win. They win. They win. You know why, Ken? Because they learn. Yeah, they lose, but they learn. They don't get treated with kid gloves with baby. They learn. They learn from their mistakes. They get better. Some of the promoters that are doing a favor to these guys, keeping them undefeated and, and putting them in a wait until they can make money for themselves and f for the promoter for themselves, right? Well, because they want to have an undefeated record. But, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. What happened? He never learned. He never learned. He never learned. But these guys, they're learning. They're learning how to fight by their mistakes, by their losses. There's an old saying, you got to lose to win sometimes. They get better, and it works. It's a formula that works. It's been proven in, in life, in life. How many times where you might get fired, and you come back, and the second time, you're better. You might get fired twice, and the third time, you're better. You learned. There's more urgency. Everything, all of it. Yeah, that's what they're doing. There are guys with seven, eight losses where you wouldn't pay attention to them in boxing. You better pay attention to them in the UFC because they're going to kick your butt. <laughs> they're going to win a title. Yep. Because they learned because they went down the hard road and they got better for it. And in the long run, it served them, not in the short run. In the long run, 
and it's because of Dana White, because of the system. I get all of it. I get all of it. But it's because of the system that he can do that. They can force that. He can demand that. And that's where right now, and I hate to say it, it hurts me. But now because of all of what I said, he has inched his horse ahead of my horse. He has inched boxing, UFC, ahead of boxing right now. And and I don't know how we're going to change it. You know why? Because we don't have a jockey. We don't have a jockey on that horse. You know, speaking just metaphorically, but we don't. We don't have somebody that can, a, a boxing commissioner, saw national, anything, anything, police force, anything that can say, hey, hey, hey. Some of these things Teddy just said, hey, let's pay attention to two of them. Three of them. Well, I'll tell you, if you think he's inching ahead now, he's got another event this coming Wednesday and another one next Saturday. That's three events, and there isn't even a boxing event on the calendar, so someone better stop paying attention and organizing the troops and figure out a game plan going forward and not just criticize from the sidelines. How would you like uh, Dana White? And I know that this, oh, boy, I say, well, what, the, uh, what the hell? What the hell? I know you'll protect me. I know Robert protect me, right? <laughs> How, how would you like, uh, he's doing a pretty good job for ESPN with UFC during difficult times. Yep. How would you like him running the boxing? Could be in the works. I'm just saying, I'm, I mean, the other guy's a Hall of Fame uh, guy that's running the boxing now. Tremendous. I get it. Tremendous. Tremendous. But White has proven himself, uh, you know, to be up to the task. You know, that he that he would. I know he wouldn't control all of boxing. I get it. But he would control what he would control over there. And he would bring that mentality into it. Where yeah. he'd be, uh, there'd be kind of a new sheriff in town, you know. You get to you get to your work where the new people took over your job, and there's something, a piece of paper sitting on your desk. Uh, you will no longer um, be taking two-hour lunches. <laughs> you know, change, change. Uh, you will. Everyone, how about this? Uh, new guy, Mr. White, running boxing at ESPN. Uh, Monday morning, they get in. Uh, everybody must get in the pool. <laughs> That's it. Well, who knows? Every, everybody, by the way, no more, no more sitting in lounge chair. No more sitting in lounge chairs with with uh, you know uh, copper tone uh, on your arms. Well, who knows those? Get in the pool. Those wheels may be in motion behind the scenes. We'll find out soon enough. Well, listen, Teddy, this was a long one. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Like I said, there's another UFC coming up, UFC event coming up this coming Wednesday as well as Saturday. I'm sure you guys will let us know what you think, but if you like it, we'd love to keep doing this. We know there's not a lot of content out there right now, but um, please, we value all the feedback, and um, 
Yeah, let us know what you think. Happy to keep bringing you guys this stuff. And uh, Teddy, thanks for doing this, especially on Mother's Day. Appreciate you. No, I appreciate you, really, because that should be said, because it's three hours earlier there. We already had our Mother's Day uh, meal, and um, and you haven't yet. You probably delayed it. You might get hit with part of it. I hope you don't. Um, <laughs> I hope part of it doesn't get tossed to you, but you have a beautiful wife, a beautiful family, so um, they're, I'm sure they're understanding, but just tell them that we appreciate their understanding and allowing you to do this. And to all the mothers out there, uh, even though you'll be seeing this after Mother's Day, we hope you had a great day and we appreciate you. We appreciate you. And with that, thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for everyone for being with us. Take care.